This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Today's podcast is a reading of Progeny by Philip K. Dick. It's read by Mike Vendetti. It runs 45 minutes, and we will be discussing it afterward. Intelligent parents readily understand why they must not try to educate and train their children. Robots do it much better. They do not confuse them with complexes or emotions or petty impulses. Even tired old Ed Doyle could tell you that much. Ed Doyle hurried. He caught a surface car, waved 50 credits in the robot driver's face, mopped his floored face with a red pocket handkerchief, unfastened his collar, perspired and licked his lips, and swallowed piteously all the way to the hospital. The surface car slid up to a smooth halt before the great white domed hospital building. Ed leaped out and bounded up the steps three at a time, pushing through the visitors and convalescent patients standing on the broad terrace. He threw his weight against the door and emerged in the lobby, astonishing the attendants and persons of importance moving about their tasks. Where? Ed demanded, gazing around, his feet wide apart, his fists clenched, his chest rising and falling. His breath came hoarsely, like an animal's. Silence fell over the lobby. Everyone turned toward him, pausing in their work. Where? Ed demanded again. Where is she? They. It was fortunate Janet had been delivered of a child on this of all days. Proximia Centuri was a long way from Terra, and the service was bad. Anticipating the birth of his child, Ed had left Proxima some weeks before. He had just arrived in the city. While stowing his suitcase in the luggage thread at the station, the message had been handed to him by a robot courier. Los Angeles Central Hospital, at once. Ed hurried and fast. As he hurried, he couldn't help feeling pleased. He had hit the day exactly right, almost to the hour. It was a good feeling. He'd felt it before during the years of business dealings in the colonies, the frontier, the fringe of Terran civilization, where the streets were still lit by electric lights and doors opened by hand. That was going to be hard to get used to. Ed turned toward the door behind him, feeling suddenly foolish. He had shoved it open, ignoring the eye. The door was just now closing, sliding back in place. He calmed down a little, putting his handkerchief away in his coat pocket. The hospital attendants were resuming their work, picking up their activities where they had left off. One attendant, a strapping late-model robot, coasted over to Ed and halted. The robot balanced his noteboard expertly, his photocell eyes appraising Ed's flushed features. May I inquire whom you are looking for, sir? Whom do you wish to find? My wife. Her name, sir. Janet. Janet Doyle. She's just had a child. The robot consulted his board. This way, sir. He coasted off down the passage. Ed followed nervously. Is she okay? Did I get here in time? His anxiety was returning. She is quite well, sir. The robot raised his metal arm, and a side door slid back. In here, sir. Janet, in a chic blue mesh suit, was sitting before a mahogany desk, a cigarette between her fingers, her slim legs crossed, talking rapidly. 
On the other side of the desk, a well-dressed doctor sat listening. "'Janet,' Ed said, entering the room. "'Hi, Ed.' She glanced up at him. "'You just now get in?' "'Sure. It's, it's all over? You mean it's happened?' Janet laughed, her even white teeth sparkling. "'Of course. Come in and sit. This is Dr. Bish.' "'Hello, Doc.' Ed sat down nervously across from them. "'Then it's all over. The event has happened,' Dr. Bish said. His voice was thin and metallic. Ed realized with a sudden shock that the doctor was a robot. A top-level robot made in humanoid form, not like the ordinary metal-limbed workers. It had fooled him. He had been away so long. Dr. Bish appeared plump and well-fed, with kindly features and eyeglasses. His large, fleshy hands rested on the desk, a ring on one finger, pinstripe suit and necktie, diamond tie clasp, nails carefully manicured, hair black and evenly parted. But his voice had given him away. They never seemed to be able to get a really human sound into the voice. The compressed air and whirling disc system seemed to fall short. Otherwise, it was very convincing. I understand you've been situated near Proximia, Mr. Doyle, Dr. Bish said pleasantly. Ed nodded. Yeah? Quite a long way, isn't it? I've never been out there. I have always wanted to go. Is it true they're almost ready to push on to Sirius? Look, Doc. Ed, don't be impatient. Janet stubbed out her cigarette, glancing reprovingly at him. She hadn't changed in six months. Small, blonde face, red mouth, cold eyes like little blue rocks. And now her perfect figure back again. They're bringing him here. It takes a few minutes. They have to wash him off and put drops in his eyes and take a wave shot of his brain. He? Then it's a boy. Of course. Don't you remember? You were with me when I had the shots. We agreed at the time. You haven't changed your mind, have you? Too late to change your mind now, Mr. Doyle. Dr. Bish's toneless voice came, high-pitched and calm. Your wife has decided to call him Peter. Peter, Ed nodded, a little dazed. That's right. We did decide, didn't we? Peter. He let the word roll around in his mind. Yeah, that's fine. I like it. The walls suddenly faded turning from opaque to transparent. Ed spun quickly. They were looking into a brightly lit room, filled with hospital equipment and white-clad attendant robots. One of the robots was moving toward them, pushing a cart. On the cart was a container, a big metal pot. Ed's breathing increased. He felt a wave of dizziness. He went up to the transparent wall and stood gazing at the metal pot on the cart. Dr. Bish rose. Don't you want to see, too, Mrs. Doyle? Of course. Janet crossed to the wall and stood beside Ed. She watched critically, her arms folded. Dr. Bish made a signal. The attendant reached into the pot and lifted out a wire tray, gripping the handles with his magnetic clamps. On the tray, dripping through the wire, was Peter Doyle, still wet from his bath, his eyes wide with astonishment. He was pink all over except for a fringe of hair on the top of his head and his great blue eyes. He was little and wrinkled and toothless. 
like an ancient withered sage. Golly, Ed said. Dr. Bish made a second signal. The wall slid back. The attendant robot advanced into the room, holding his dripping tray out. Dr. Bish removed Peter from the tray and held him up for inspection. He turned him around and around, studying him from every angle. He looks fine, he said at last. What was the result of the wave photo? Janet asked. Result was good. Excellent tendencies indicated. Very promising. High development of the... The doctor broke off. What is it, Mr. Doyle? Ed was holding out his hands. Let me have him, Doc. I want to hold him. He grinned from ear to ear. Let's see how heavy he is. He sure looks big. Dr. Bish's mouth fell open in horror. He and Janet gaped. Ed! Janet exclaimed sharply. What's the matter with you? Good heavens, Mr. Doyle, the doctor murmured. Ed blinked. What? If I had thought you had any such thing in mind. Dr. Bish quickly returned Peter to the attendant. The attendant rushed Peter from the room, back to the metal pot. The cart and robot and pot hurriedly vanished, and the wall banged back in place. Janet grabbed Ed's arm angrily. Good Lord, Ed! Have you lost your mind? Come on, let's get out of here before you do something else. But come on. Janet smiled nervously at Dr. Bish. We'll run along now, Doctor. Thanks so much for everything. Don't pay any attention to him. He's been out there so long, you know. I understand, Dr. Bish said smoothly. He had regained his poise. I trust we'll hear from you later, Mrs. Doyle. Janet pulled Ed out into the hall. Ed, what's the matter with you? I've never been so embarrassed in all my life. Two spots of red glowed on Janet's cheeks. I could have kicked you. But what? You know we aren't allowed to touch him. What do you want to do, ruin his whole life? But come on. They hurried outside the hospital onto the terrace. Warm sunlight streamed down on them. There's no telling what harm you've done. He may already be hopelessly warped. If he grows up all warped and neurotic and emotional, it'll be your fault. Suddenly Ed remembered. He sagged, his features drooping with misery. That's right, I forgot. Only robots can come near the children. I'm sorry, Jan. I got carried away. I hope I didn't do anything they can't fix. How could you forget? It's so different out on Prox. Ed waved to his surface car, crestfallen and abashed. The driver drew up in front of them. Jan, I'm sorry as hell. I really am. I was all excited. Let's go have a cup of coffee someplace and talk. I want to know what the doctor said. Ed had a cup of coffee, and Janet sipped at a brandy frappe. The nymphite room was pitch black, except for a vague light oozing up from the table between them. The table diffused a pale illumination that spread over everything, a ghostly radiation seemingly without a source. A robot waitress moved back and forth soundlessly with a tray of drinks. Recorded music played softly in the back of the room. Go on, Ed said. Go on? Janet slipped her jacket off and laid it over the back of her chair. 
In the pale light, her breast glowed faintly. There's not much to tell. Everything went all right. It didn't take long. I chatted with Dr. Bish most of the time. I'm glad I got here. How was your trip? Fine. Is the service getting any better? Does it still take as long as it did? Not the same. I can't see why you want to go all the way out there. It's so, so cut off from things. What do you find out there? Are plumbing fixtures really that much in demand? They need them. Frontier area. Everyone wants the refinements. Ed gestured vaguely. What did he tell you about Peter? What's he going to be like? Can he tell? I guess it's too soon. He was going to tell me when you started acting the way you did. I'll call him on the vidphone when we get home. His wave pattern should be good. He comes from the best eugenic stock. Ed grunted. On your side, at least. How long are you going to be here? I don't know. Not long. I'll have to go back. I'd sure like to see him again before I go. He glanced up hopefully at his wife. Do you think I can? I suppose. How long will he have to stay there? At the hospital? Not long. A few days. Ed hesitated. I didn't mean at the hospital exactly. I mean with them. How long before we can have him? How long before we can bring him home? There was silence. Janet finished her brandy. She leaned back, lighting a cigarette. Smoke drifted across to Ed, blending with the pale light. Ed, I don't think you understand. You've been out there so long. A lot has happened since you were a child. New methods, new techniques. They found out so many things they didn't know. They're making progress for the first time. They know what to do. They're developing a real methodology for dealing with children. For the growth period, attitude development, training. She smiled brightly at Ed. I've been reading all about it. How long before we get him? In a few days, he'll be released from the hospital. He'll go to a child guidance center. He'll be tested and studied. They'll determine his various capacities and his latent abilities. The direction his development seems to be taking. And then? Then he's put in the proper educational division. So he'll get the right training. Ed, you know, I think he's really going to be something. I could tell by the way Dr. Bish looked. He was studying the wave pattern charts when I came in. He had a look on his face. How can I describe it? She searched for the word. Well, almost, almost a greedy look. Real excitement. They take so much interest in what they're doing. He... Don't say he, say it. Ed, really? What's got into you? Nothing. Ed glared sullenly down. Gone. They make sure he's trained in the right direction. All the time he's there, ability tests are given. Then, when he's about nine, he'll be transferred to... Nine? You mean nine years? Of course. But when do we get him? Ed, I thought you knew about this. Do I have to go over the whole thing? My God, Jan, we can't wait nine years. Ed jerked himself upright. I never heard of such a thing. Nine years. 
Why, he'll be half grown by then. That's the point. Janet leaned toward him, resting her bare elbow against the table. As long as he's growing, he has to be with them, not with us. Afterwards, when he's finished growing, when he's no longer so plastic, then we can be with him all we want. Afterwards. When he's eighteen? Ed leaped up, pushing his chair back. I'm going down there and get him. Sit down, Ed. Janet gazed up calmly, one supple arm thrown lightly over the back of her chair. Sit down and act like an adult for a change. Doesn't it matter to you? Don't you care? Of course I care, Janet shrugged. But it's necessary, otherwise he won't develop correctly. It's for his good, not ours. He doesn't exist for us. Do you want him to have conflicts? Ed moved away from the table. I'll see you later. Where are you going? Just around. I can't stand this kind of place. It bothers me. I'll see you later. Ed pushed across the room to the door. The door opened, and he found himself on the shiny noonday street. Hot sunlight beat down on him. He blinked, adjusting himself to the blinding light. People streamed around him, people and noise. He moved with them. He was dazed. He had known, of course, it was in the back of his mind, the new developments in child care. But it had been abstract, general. Nothing to do with him, with his child. He calmed himself as he walked along. He was getting all upset about nothing. Janet was right, of course. It was for Peter's good. Peter didn't exist for them, like a dog or cat, a pet to have around the house. He was a human being with his own life. The training was for him, not for them. It was to develop him, his abilities, his powers. He was to be molded, realized, brought out. Naturally, robots could do the best job. Robots could train him scientifically, according to a rational technique, not according to emotional whim. Robots didn't get angry. Robots didn't nag and whine. They didn't spank a child or yell at him. They didn't give conflicting orders. They didn't quarrel among themselves or use the child for their own ends. And there could be no Oedipus complex with only robots around. No complexes at all. It had been discovered long ago that neurosis could be traced to childhood training, to the way parents brought up the child. The inhibitions he was taught, the manners, the lessons, the punishments, the rewards, neurosis, complexes, warped development, all stemmed from the subjective relationship existing between the child and the parent, if perhaps the parent could be eliminated as a factor. Parents could never become objective about their children. It was always a biased emotional projection the parent held toward the child. Invariably, the parent's view was distorted. No parent could be a fit instructor for his child. Robots could study the child, analyze his needs, his wants, test his abilities and interests. Robots would not try to force the child to fit a certain mold. The child would be trained along his own lines, wherever scientific study indicated his interest and needs lay. Ed came to the corner 
traffic whirred past him. He stepped absently forward, a clang, a crash. Bars dropped in front of him, stopping him. A robot safety control. Sir, be more careful. The strident voice came close by him. Sorry. Ed stepped back. The control bars lifted. He waited for the lights to change. It was for Pete's own good. Robots could train him right. Later on, when he was out of this growth stage, when he was not so pliant, so responsive. It's better for him, Ed murmured. He said it again half aloud, some people glancing at him, and he colored. Of course it was better for him. No doubt about it. Eighteen. He couldn't be with his son until he was eighteen, practically grown up. The lights changed. Deep in thought, Ed crossed the street with the other pedestrians, keeping carefully inside the safety lane. It was best for Peter, but eighteen years was a long time. A hell of a long time, Ed murmured, frowning. Too damn long a time. Dr. 2G-Y Bish carefully studied the man standing in front of him. His relays and memory banks clicked, narrowing down the image identification. Flashing a variety of comparison possibilities past the scanner. I recall you, sir, Dr. Bish said at last. You're the man from Proxima, from the colonies. Doyle, Edward Doyle. Let's see. It was some time ago. It must have been. Nine years ago, Ed Doyle said grimly. Exactly nine years ago, practically to the day. Dr. Bish folded his hands. Sit down, Mr. Doyle. What can I do for you? How is Mrs. Doyle? Very engaging wife, as I recall. We had a delightful conversation during her delivery. How? Dr. Bish, do you know where my son is? Dr. Bish considered, tapping his fingers on the desktop, the polished mahogany surface. He closed his eyes slightly, gazing off into the distance. Yes, yes, I know where your son is, Mr. Doyle. Ed Doyle relaxed. Fine, he nodded, letting his breath come out in relief. I know exactly where your son is. I placed him in the Los Angeles Biological Research Station about a year ago. He's undergoing specialized training there. Your son, Mr. Doyle, has shown exceptional ability. He is, shall I say, one of the few, the very few, we have found with real possibilities. Can I see him? See him? How do you mean? Doyle controlled himself with an effort. I think the term is clear. Dr. Bish rubbed his chin, his photocell brain whirred, operating at maximum velocity. Switches routed power surges, building up loads and leaping gaps rapidly as he contemplated the man before him. You wish to view him? That's one meaning of the term. Or do you wish to talk to him? Sometimes the term is used to cover a more direct contact. It's a loose word. I want to talk to him. I see. Bish slowly drew some forms from the dispenser on his desk. 
There are a few routine papers that have to be filled out first, of course. Just how long did you want to speak to him? Ed Doyle gazed steadily into Dr. Bish's bland face. I want to talk to him several hours, alone. Alone? No robots around. Dr. Bish said nothing. He stroked the papers he held, creasing the edges with his nail. Mr. Doyle, he said carefully, I wonder if you're in a proper emotional state to visit your son. You have recently come in from the colonies. I left Proxima three weeks ago. Then you have just arrived here in Los Angeles. That's right. And you've come to see your son. Or have you other business? I came for my son. Mr. Doyle, Peter is at a very critical stage. He has just recently been transferred to the biology station for his higher training. Up to now, his training has been general, what we call the non-differentiated stage. Recently, he has entered a new period. Within the last six months, Peter has begun advanced work along his specific line, that of organic chemistry. He will... What does Peter think about it? Bish frowned. I don't understand, sir. How does he feel about it? Is it what he wants? Mr. Doyle, your son has the possibility of becoming one of the world's finest biochemists. In all the time we have worked with human beings in their training and development, we have never come across a more alert and integrated facility for the assimilation of data, construction of theory, formulation of material than that which your son possesses. All tests indicate he will rapidly rise to the top of his chosen field. He is still only a child, Mr. Doyle, but it is the children who must be trained. Doyle stood up. Tell me where I can find him. I'll talk to him for two hours, and then the rest is up to him. The rest? Doyle clamped his jaw shut. He shoved his hands in his pockets. His face was flushed and set, grim with determination. In the nine years he had grown much heavier, more stocky and florid. His thinning hair had turned iron gray. His clothes were dumpy and unpressed. He looked stubborn. Dr. Bish sighed. All right, Mr. Doyle. Here are the papers. The law allows you to observe your boy whenever you make proper application. Since he is out of his non-differentiated stage, you may also speak to him for a period of ninety minutes alone. You can take him away from the station grounds for that length of time. Dr. Bish pushed the papers over to Doyle. Please out, and I'll have Peter brought here. He looked up steadily at the man standing before him. 
I hope you'll remember that any emotional experiences at this clinical stage may do much to inhibit his development. He has chosen his field, Mr. Doyle. He must be permitted to grow along his selected lines, unhindered, by situational blocks. Peter has been in contact with our technical staff throughout his entire training period. He is not accustomed to contact with other human beings, so please be careful. Doyle said nothing. He grabbed up the papers and plucked out his fountain pen. He hardly recognized his son when the two robot attendants brought him out of the massive concrete station building and deposited him a few yards from Ed's parked surface car. Ed pushed the door open. Pete! His heart was thumping heavily, painfully. He watched his son come toward the car, frowning in the bright sunlight. It was late afternoon, about four. A faint breeze blew across the parking lot, rustling a few papers and bits of debris. Peter stood slim and straight. His eyes were large, deep brown, like Ed's. His hair was light, almost blonde, more like Janet's. He had Ed's jaw, though, the firm line, clean and well-chiseled. Ed grinned at him. Nine years it had been. Nine years since the robot attendant had lifted the wire rack up from the conveyor pot to show him the little wrinkled baby, red as a boiled lobster. Peter had grown. He was not a baby any longer. He was a young boy, straight and proud, with firm features and wide, clear eyes. Pete, Ed said, how the hell are you? The boy stopped by the door of the car. He gazed at Ed calmly. His eyes flickered. Taking in the car, the robot driver, the heavy-set man in the rumpled tweed suit, grinning nervously at him. Get in. Get inside. Ed moved over. Come on. We have places to go. The boy was looking at him again. Suddenly Ed was conscious of his baggy suit his unshined shoes, his gray stubbled chin. He flushed, yanking out his red pocket handkerchief and mopping his forehead uneasily. I just got off the ship, Pete, from Proxima. I haven't had time to change. I'm a little dusty. Long trip. Peter nodded. 4.3 light years, isn't it? Takes three weeks. Get in. Don't you want to get in? Peter slid in beside him. Ed slammed the door. Let's go. The car started up. Drive. Ed peered out the window. Drive up there, by the hill, out of town. He turned to Pete. I hate big cities. I can't get used to them. There are no large cities in the colonies, are there? Peter murmured. You're unused to urban living. Ed settled back. His heart had begun to slow down to its normal beat. No, as a matter of fact, it's the other way around, Pete. How do you mean? I went to Prox because I couldn't stand cities. Peter said nothing. The surface car was climbing, going up a steep highway into the hills. The station, huge and impressive, spread out like a heap of cement bricks directly below them. A few cars moved along the road, but not many. Most transportation was by air now. 
surface cars had begun to disappear. The road leveled off. They moved along the ridge of the hills. Trees and bushes rose on both sides of them. It's nice up here, Ed said. Yes. How, how have you been? I haven't seen you for a long time. Just once. Just after you were born. I know. Your visit is listed in the records. You've been getting along all right? Yes, quite well. They treating you all right? Of course. After a while, Ed leaned forward. Stop here, he said to the robot driver. The car slowed down, pulling over to the side of the road. Sir, there's nothing. This is fine. Let us out. We'll walk from here. The car stopped. The door slid reluctantly open. Ed stepped quickly out of the car onto the pavement. Peter got out slowly after him, puzzled. Where are we? No place. Ed slammed the door. Go on back to town, he said to the driver. We won't need you. The car drove off. Ed walked to the side of the road. Peter came after him. The hill dropped away, falling down to the beginnings of the city below. A vast panorama stretched out, the great metropolis in the late afternoon sun. Ed took a deep breath, throwing his arms out. He took off his coat and tossed it over his shoulder. Come on. He started down the hillside. Here we go. Where? For a walk. Let's get off this damn road. They climbed down the side of the hill, walking carefully, holding onto the grass and roots jutting out from the soil. Finally, they came to a level place by a big sycamore tree. Ed threw himself down on the ground, grunting and wiping sweat from his neck. Here, let's sit here. Peter sat down carefully, a little way off. Ed's blue shirt was stained with sweat. He fastened his tie and loosened his collar. Presently, he searched through his coat pockets. He brought out his pipe and tobacco. Peter watched him fill the pipe and light it with a big sulfur match. What's that? he murmured. This? My pipe. Ed grinned, sucking at the pipe. Haven't you ever seen a pipe? No. This is a good pipe. I got this when I first went to Proxima. That was a long time ago, Pete. It was twenty-five years ago. I was just nineteen then, only about twice as old as you. He put his tobacco away and leaned back, his heavy face serious preoccupied. Yes, nineteen. I went out there as a plumber. Repair and sales when I could make a sale. Turn plumbing. One of those big ads you used to see. Unlimited opportunities. Virgin lands. Make a million. Gold in the streets. Ed laughed. How did you make out? Not bad. Not bad at all. I own my own line now, you know. I service the whole Proxima system. We do repairing, maintenance, building, construction. I've got 600 people working for me. It took a long time. It didn't come easy. No? Hungry? Peter turned. What? Are you hungry? Ed pulled a brown paper parcel from his coat and unwrapped it. Still have a couple sandwiches from the trip when I came in from Prox. I bring some food along with me. I don't like to buy in the diner. They skin you. He held out the parcel. 
Want one? No, thank you. Ed took a sandwich and began to eat. He ate nervously, glancing at his son. Peter sat silently a short distance off, staring ahead without expression. His smooth, handsome face was blank. Everything all right, Ed said. Yes. You're not cold, are you? No. You don't want to catch cold. A squirrel crossed in front of them, hurrying toward the sycamore tree. Ed threw it a piece of his sandwich. The squirrel ran off away, then came back slowly. It scolded at them, standing up on its hind feet, its great gray tail flowing out behind it. Ed laughed. Look at him. Ever see a squirrel before? I don't think so. The squirrel ran off with a piece of sandwich. It disappeared among the brush and bushes. Squirrels don't exist out around Prox, Ed said. No. It's good to come back to Terra once in a while. See some of the old things they're going through. Going? Away. Destroyed. Terra is always changing. Ed waved round at the hillside. This will be gone some day. They'll cut down the trees and they'll level it. Some day they'll carve the whole range up and carry it off. Use it for fill someplace along the coast. That's beyond our scope, Peter said. What? I don't receive that type of material. I think Dr. Bish told you. I'm working with biochemistry. I know, Ed murmured. Say, how the hell did you ever get mixed up with that stuff? Biochemistry? The tests showed that my abilities lie along those lines. You enjoy what you're doing. What a strange thing to ask. Of course I enjoy what I'm doing. It's the work I'm fitted for. Seems funny as hell to me, starting a nine-year-old kid off on something like that. Why? My God, Pete, when I was nine, I was bumming around town in school sometimes, outside mostly, wandering here and there, playing, reading, sneaking into the rocket launching yards all the time, he considered, doing all sorts of things. When I was sixteen, I hopped over to Mars. I stayed there a while, worked as a hasher. I went on to Ganymede. Ganymede was all sewed up tight, nothing doing there. From Ganymede, I went out to Prox, got to work away all the way out. Big freighter. You stayed at Proxima? I sure did. I found what I wanted. Nice place out there. Now we're starting on to Sirius. You know, Ed's chest swelled. I've got an outlet in Sirius system. A little retail and service place. Sirius is 8.8 .8 light years from Saul. It's a long way. Seven weeks from here. Rough grind. Meteor swarms keep things hot all the way out. I can imagine. You know what I thought I might do? Ed turned toward his son, his face alive with hope and enthusiasm. I've been thinking it over. I thought maybe I'd go out there to Sirius. It's a fine little place we have. I drew up the plans myself. Special design to fit with the characteristics of the system. Peter nodded. Pete? Yes? you think maybe you'd be interested? Like to hop out to Sirius and take a look? It's a good place. Four clean planets. Never touched. Lots of room. 
Miles and miles of room, cliffs and mountains, oceans, nobody around. Just a few colonists, families, some construction, wide level plains. How do you mean interested? In going all the way out. Ed's face was pale, his mouth twitched nervously. I thought maybe you'd like to come along and see how things are. It's a lot like Prox was, twenty-five years ago. It's good and clean out there. No cities. Peter smiled. Why are you smiling? No reason. Peter stood up abruptly. If we have to walk back to the station, we better start. Don't you think? It's getting late. Sure, Ed struggled to his feet. Sure, but... When are you going to be back to the Sol system again? Back? Ed followed after his son. Peter climbed up the hill toward the road. Slow down, will you? Peter slowed down. Ed caught up with him. I don't know when I'll be back. I don't come here very often. No ties. Not since Jan and I separated. As a matter of fact, I came here this time to... This way, Peter started down the road. Ed hurried along beside him, fastening his tie and putting his coat on, gasping for breath. Pete, what do you say? You want to hop out to Sirius with me? Take a look. It's a nice place out there. We could work together, the two of us, if you want. But I already have my work. That stuff? That damn chemistry stuff? Peter smiled again. Ed scowled, his face red. Why are you smiling? he demanded. His son did not answer. What's the matter? What's so damn funny? Nothing, Peter said. Don't become excited. We have a long walk down. He increased his pace slightly, his supple body swinging in long, even strides. It's getting late. We have to hurry. Dr. Bish examined his wristwatch, pushing back his pinstripe coat sleeve. I'm glad you're back. He sent the surface car away, Peter murmured. We had to walk down the hill on foot. It was dark outside. The station lights were coming on automatically, along the rows of buildings and laboratories. Dr. Bish rose from his desk. Sign this, Peter. Bottom of this form. Peter signed. What is it? Certifies you saw him in accordance with the provisions of the law. We didn't try to obstruct you in any way. Peter handed the paper back. Bush spotted away with the others. Peter moved toward the door of the doctor's office. I'll go down to the cafeteria for dinner. You haven't eaten? No. Dr. Bish folded his arms, studying the boy. Well, he said, what do you think of him? This is the first time you've seen your father. It must have been strange for you. You've been around us so much in all your training and work. It was unusual. Did you gain any impressions? Was there anything you particularly noticed? He was very emotional. There was a distinct bias through everything he said and did, a distortion present virtually uniform. Anything else? Peter hesitated, lingering at the door. He broke into a smile. One other thing. What was it? I noticed, Peter laughed. I noticed a distinct odor about him. A constant, pungent smell. 
all the time I was with him. I'm afraid that's true of all of them, Dr. Bish said. Certain skin glands, waste products thrown off from the blood. You'll get used to it after you've been around them more. Do I have to be around them? They're your own race. How else can you work with them? Your whole training is designed with that in mind. When we've taught you all we can, then you will... It reminded me of something, the pungent odor. I kept thinking about it all the time I was with him, trying to place it. Can you identify it now? Peter reflected. He thought hard, concentrating deeply, his small face wrinkled up. Dr. Bish waited patiently by his desk, his arms folded. The automatic heating system clicked on for the night, warming the room with a soft glow that drifted gently around them. I know, Peter exclaimed suddenly. What was it? The animals in the biology labs. It was the same smell, the same smell as the experimental animals. They glanced at each other, the robot doctor and the promising young boy. Both of them smiled, a secret, private smile, a smile of complete understanding. I believe I know what you mean, Dr. Bish said. In fact, I know exactly what you mean. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hello, I'm Evan. Hi, I'm Mike. Hello, I'm, I'm emotionally Terrence. <laughs> Hello, I'm Jonathan. We're going to talk about Progeny by Philip K. Dick. First published in If, Worlds of Science Fiction, November 1954. I think I saw somebody tweet on Twitter saying, We're bringing it back! The legendary If, Worlds of Science Fiction. I'm like, oh, uh, are you sure that's how it's pronounced? Sometimes I think it's Worlds of Science Fiction If, or If, by itself. I don't know. It's iffy. It's, it's, so it says If in the actual uh, copyright but it doesn't say worlds of science fiction first. So I think worlds of science fiction is the tagline, but it's a good, it's a good name for a magazine. It's sort of a, it's a tier below galaxy and astounding in terms of popularity, but a tier above a lot of the ones that didn't last as long as it did. Um, didn't, uh, if in galaxy share Frederick Poole as an editor, uh, not in this case, this is James L. Quinn. I don't think that that's a pseudonym. Um, but Paul was editor of both at different times. Uh, that's very possible. Yeah, that's, that is correct. Um, but that would be later. I would guess this is pretty early in ifs run. Um, what's it say? Volume four, number three. So a few years in, this is the s third year of Philip K. Dick being out, but really it's, it's, uh, the second because the first year is pretty much nothing. 50 and 2015 Evan did a show on it on his podcast and I re-listened to that and um at the end of his blog post which he very very sneakily doesn't put his name all over the Philip K. Dick review website <laughs> um yeah um he had a good YouTube video which I will call out it's called John Taylor Gatto State Controlled Consciousness and it's about a guy it's a guy talking about how schools uh, are always created in order to 
create utopian uh, visions. And uh, that's, it's, yeah, as Evan points out, it is very close to Philip Kiddick's perspective uh, in progeny. But I don't think it's only about schools. I think uh, the way I was mentioning this to Evan earlier this week, I think it was, mm-hmm. I said this is the story about the autistic kid, which doesn't narrow it down very much because Philip K. Dick has a lot of stories about autistic kids. Yeah, uh, we've done a couple of them. <laughs> yeah. And he's not really autistic, I guess, when I'm rereading it again. I mean, if he is, he's he's clearly like, it's really a nurture thing. Not yeah. This is a very and much I, a nurture I, I, story. And I think I think that's the thesis of this story that basically a lot of a lot of human behavior is is nurture and what we and we see with the sun is basically the the ultimate result of that being being raised completely by robots. You kind of identify more as with the robots and with your own species. Yeah, definitely. It's um, it's. It's again one of these stories. It's not told from the perspective of the kid, but it has kids in it, which is very, very unusual in actual science fiction. No, I'm not talking about YA. I'm I'm talking about like younger than yeah, the kid's nine, right? In this story, at the end, yeah, he's zero <laughs> at the beginning, and he's nine at the end. Um, there's very, very few actual science fiction stories from the this era of science fiction that are from a kid's perspective. Um, there's like, uh, I guess a Theodore Sturgeon one. There's uh, Mimsy and the Borough Groves. There's like a few, but yeah. Philip K. Dick has like a good handful. You could get uh, a short book out of just a collection of his, his child <laughs> ones, including uh, Tony and the Beatles is the main one. It's really from the kid's perspective or um, the, uh, the father thing. It's again totally from the child's perspective. Here it's from the dad's perspective, but the focus is on the relationship to the child and what what this is all about. So I, I, I sw- it's like it comes up every time, but I think this this is very much based on something that happened to Philip K. Dick. He went to the hospital. He went to a mental institution, and they told him some stuff, and he took it in. And he says, is that really true? And if it is, dot, 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 he started typing on his keyboard, right? I I, I think that that's the only explanation for this story, because nobody out there was saying, you know what we need is more science fiction stories (laughs) about kids who get adopted by robots. And yet it comes up again and again, Nanny. That's a story by Philip K. Dick, which has robots being nannies to children. And, you know, it's menacing there. And it's menacing here. This is something you didn't mention, Evan, how menacing this story is. Did you know it's interesting? I mean, I noticed it this time. I noticed like the, 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 the folk, like, I don't know if it was body horror, but it's just like a focus on like the sweat and the oh, yeah. smells of the body. This is yeah, something from the very, very beginning. Much, yeah. So in that sense, it is kind of from the kid's point of view, but it's. I mean, I, I mean that that's the only point of view we get is at the end when when the when the yeah. kid and the robot discuss the aftermath of the meeting with the father and what he thinks, and it's like yeah, they smell that. That's, but otherwise, we're in the father's point of view through the nine years of the kid's life and interpolating. 
and we have to assume things. Oh, okay, he broke up with his wife. Oh, he's done this. He's done that. He's trying to basically trying to make a connection for the son over nine years and failing at the end because because of the nurture. He, he well, hasn't seen him because years, yeah. the 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 heavy focus on the bodily functions throughout the story. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's in other Philip Dick stories. Oh yeah. Uh, it's, but, it's, uh, it's, it really comes across here. The last of the masters, uh, the sweat, the, yeah. sweat, the, the yeah. hairy, sweaty man. And uh, there's girls boobs in here too. That's <clears> not <throat> the main focus, but we do get a <laughs> shot of glowing boobs. Um, mm-hmm. what were you going to say, Mike? Well, I was going to say that, uh, this, uh, book is, uh, like you can almost connect that to AI, which is all of a sudden, it's here mm-hmm. and uh you know it's uh, like i <clears throat> i wrote a newspaper article strictly through ai and uh i'm in the that database ai database and uh this we are in a promethean moment with the uh with ai and i think this uh, is really you know uh Ed is left out of it, and he's uh, yeah can't can't really figure it out. He's he he doesn't participate. One of the one of the major things that if if Eric was here, I'm going to channel Eric Rabkin for a minute. Um, the things I noted was when when the man is trying to connect with his son, who he hasn't seen in nine years, who the wife you know has a stronger relationship to the robot doctor than she does with her husband or her child. Um, he's, uh, he offers the son a sandwich. Um, and Eric, you know, points this out in fairy tales, which this is very much like a, you know, a re modern science fictional fairy tale. Um, when you share somebody's food with somebody, that's saying you love them, right? So Pete doesn't accept Ed's food, but he throws it to a squirrel and the squirrel yells at him and accepts his food. Right. Uh, Pete, after the, after the meeting, he, uh, says to his robot doctor, who's also his boss or trainer, whatever. Um, uh, you didn't, the doctor says you didn't eat. And he says, I'll eat at the cafeteria. Um, he won't eat from his father's homemade food, right? The food that's from the, the ship bringing him to earth just to visit his son and ask him this pop the question. Will you come and be my son? Um, Ed, Ed says, uh, the reason I made these sandwiches on the, on the airplane or whatever he says is that he doesn't, tr- uh, quote, I don't like to buy in the diner. They skin you. Now that makes it sound like, um, they rip you off, but he has 600 employees. I don't think he should be worried about, uh, the price that much. I think this is like menacing. There's all sorts of menacing things happening and sentences that go unfinished. So what is, I was, I was thinking about why, why is he training to become a biochemist? He's sort of a messiah. Um, it's hinted at for the robots. Right. He's going to be a go between. Yeah. And what's he going to do? What's he do? What does the smell of his father remind him of? Laboratory, right? So he's going to you know, laboratory animals. Yes, the experimental animals. What do they do with them? 
They experiment upon them, right? Yeah. (laughs) They do all sorts of horrible things to them, right? And it's a, it's a contemptible smell, a pungent odor. I can't place it, says the son to the, to the robot surrogate dad. I can't place it. Can you identify it now? Peter reflected. He thought hard, concentrating deeply, his small face wrinkled up, just like when he was a baby, right? Dr. Bish waited patiently by his desk, his arms folded, the automatic heating system clicked on for the night. That's gotta be for him, not for the, not for, not for the robot. For the robot. Right, right? The automatic heating system clicked on for the night, warming the room with a soft glow that draft, uh, drifted gently around the room. I know, Peter exclaimed suddenly. What was it? The animals in the biology labs. It was the same smell, the smell of, uh, the smell as the experimental animals. They glanced at each other. So there's a meaningful exchange of glances here. The robot doctor and the promising young boy, both of them smiled. That's something the boy was doing whenever his father said things like that were awkward or, you know, humane. <laughs> like, can't we, can't we be father and son, son? Uh, both of them smiled, a secret private smile, a smile of complete understanding. And then that's the end. The robot right? smiled too. Oh, and yeah. I, I guess it's the, the robot's showing emotions and you know, like a, a emotional reaction. Emotions. Yeah. It, it's a really important detail. So, uh, it, it seems to me like what happened was Philip K. Dick went to the hospital. The doctor says, your son's deformed or whatever. And he says, my God. He holds up his hand to his, his face. My God, what does it mean? Right. And he turns to God. But God Jesse, give him Dick didn't have a kid till like Anna, until I, his third wife. I, I, it's very possible. But what about that first? It's, not po- is it, it's just it. <laughs> what about like that first wife? is when his first kid was born. What about that first? His first two wives he didn't have kids with. That were uh, that were told. I think that there's a secret that he's telling us over and over again. Because what there's a secret, Phil Dick kid. I think it. it, it is, <laughs> yeah, I think this kid may have died. Because like, what happens to this child? He goes away for nine years. He goes into an institution, right? He, he's deformed. He's he's. Uh, they do a wave shot of his head, right? It's also possible that he's talking about himself. But he's he's talking about something sociologically that was going on in the United States then and that that's still going on today, which is that when you're a new parent, you have kids, there's no manual telling you what to do. So you're going to trust any charlatan who tells you that they have the right answer to make your to make your doctor who Dr. Spock. He's the guy who says, let the kid cry, cry themselves to sleep. That is probably the worst. That's the, probably the worst thing that anybody's ever done to Americans, right? I was actually thinking of the uh, lobotomy doctor at that time. Yeah. Uh, they said, you know, your kid, if he's hyperactive, ADD, he needs a lobotomy. Yeah. So they gave thousands and thousands of kids these uh, ice pick lobotomies through their noses to sever the emotional part of their brain from the thinking part of the brain to cut them off from their emotions. Uh, And they did this to thousands of children until one of the Kennedy children went in for the operation. Uh, They stuck the ice pick a little too high in her head and she became a vegetable. And that's the reason they put a stop to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's what I was thinking of. Like the parents, oh, 
your child needs this. The child without the lobotomy yeah. is going to be a you new have to track the doc- doctor. This is the new thing that you got to do. Um, and they're like, well, I don't want my kid to be in a disadvantage. Better get a lobotomy. Uh, indeed. Um, Everything you know, about this story is towards that. And then we've got this Philip K. So early on in the story, really interesting. He tries to pick up the child. And that exchange, when I first heard it uh, again recently, I was like, wait, wait, did he try and pick up the child? Is that what it was? And I thought, oh, maybe he's trying to give him a, like a circumcision or something. And like the mom's like, how dare you? <laughs> and the doctor's like, what are you doing? No, he just wants to hold his child. He wants to feel the weight of the child in his arms. Yeah, this is a very sanitary world that. Uh... It's a septic even. Yes. Yeah. But if you touch the <coughs> child, it's gonna be improper emotion. It's gonna get a, in an Oedipal complex. The child can't get attached to you. He needs independence. That's right. And it's so fucked up because this is like actually what was going on at the time, right? And and today. And today, but you know, it, it's harder to see today because there's some things we just can't talk about, right? And at the time, there's all sorts of, yes, maybe it was you, Jonathan, uh, talking about, uh, I don't know, somebody online was talking about those uh, sex studies from the 50s that, you know, swept all the magazines. Not me. I've seen people talk about the Kinsey studies. Yeah, medicine, Kinsey. That it wasn't was, me talking it was, about them. Yeah. I was just lurking and reading. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, saw I couldn't wait to get my hands on that book when I was living back there. And and you and you was like, oh my god, I'm a homosexual. I had no idea. <laughs> it says seventy nine percent of men are homosexuals. What? I had no idea. I'm likely to be right like that. And it turns out like oh, it's all like lies and w- wish fulfillment and stuff like that. We got a we got a serious problem because this is like it sweeps the nation as a as a fad. And Philip K. Dick's stories are all about these sort of like weird institutional problems, right? Like, trust the institution. It'll make you work properly. You'll be happier when you join the institution and follow the rules. So this is a very, very, very interesting story. And I, I was wondering, where where is the twist? Where are the twists? Because uh, uh, Dick likes some um, twists. Mm-hmm. And... He likes sort of layering the twists. Yes. And there's the twist at the end when um, first uh, Peter says that there's a, a systematic um, distortion uh, throughout the conversation with his father, a systematic bias. Mm-hmm. And at the end, there's the, um, uh, the complicitous smile. So you understand that um, the um, boy himself has a systematic distortion mm-hmm. produced by um, just growing up with the robots and Im- imbibing their ideology. So that's sort of a, a, a twist that is left for us to to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And notice all the paperwork that's involved, the consent forms and. You know, this, yes, technically you're allowed to touch your son or something like that. Technically, you're, you, you, I'd like to speak to, I'd like to see my son. Well, what does see mean exactly? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you have to be a lawyer, uh, right. To get, because the laws, you, you know, want. and, and, and when there's a lot of math going on too, like 
in terms of age. So he says, I first got my pipe on Prox on age when I was 19, when I went out there and I did this. Then I did this when I was 16. I, I was sneaking into the rocket, rocket facilities. And then, uh, that was about half your age or twice, I was twice your age when this happened. And then nine years goes by and we see Ed's even more tired and sweaty and balding than he was before. But and he's we, only 44. Right. But he, he's like acting like an old man, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so Evan is like, well, Phil, okay, they didn't have a kid at this point. I'm like, yeah, but, um, remember there's a story called, um, Beyond the Door. This is the story with the cuckoo clock and it's cheating on her, on the woman who's, the wife who's cheating on her husband with a cuckoo clock and a boyfriend. Which does make a lot of sense, right? Um, but there's one point in this story where um, she starts tearing up right early in the beginning. And um, she, we think it's because somebody's dead. Um, she says, uh, this is just like the cuckoo clock my mother gave me when Pete was still alive. I'm like, who's Pete? Right? And then later on in the story, we get a lady, a sno- snooty lady who's investigating and reporting on the... Uh, the cheating, um, and her name across the street is Mrs. Peters, right? So this name, Pete, Peter, um, he's using it again. Ed is a name he uses a lot too. Um, Ed Lois, we've got Ed Doyle here. Ed Lois is, I think, from The Variable Man, or maybe it's from, uh, anyways, Ed, he uses Ed a lot. Um, these are like figures in his life, like his father. Or something like that. I think Pete might be him. You know, I'm wondering, as I look at this, it's like the uh, it's like the father was ex- became extremely busy because uh, you know the father went away. Yep. Uh, to his business and so forth, and it's like the view of a, it's like coming back and say, "Hey, here I am. I'm your dad." Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. You know, and it just, it's, uh, his dad lived in some, DC. They lived in Los Angeles, uh, uh, San Francisco, right? This, uh, struck me too that Ed has a serious character flaw, which is when he's very young, when he's 18, he says to his wife, okay, here's a shot that many years from now you can have a baby. I'm going to go off to the colonies. He goes off the colonies for many, many years and then he comes back on his wife's delivery day. He's not mm-hmm. there for the pregnancy, not there for the conception. Right. Um, you know, the, the act itself, he's off in space and then he comes back on the delivery date and he expects to have a say in, in his son's life and what happens to his son and it doesn't work that way then he goes away for another nine years and comes back and expects the same thing he expects to have the same but you know he he doesn't get that so he he himself has a serious character flaw but sorry no no you're exactly no yeah so this is exactly right dick's dad lived in dc right they separated the mom moved to san francisco um we don't get a lot of stuff about his dad, like in the letters, you know, he's writing to his mom. Um, he's at, uh, what's it? Um, uh, boarding school. And he writes a letter to his mom, mom, send my pills. <laughs> like what kind of pills are they? Non-nervous pills. It's, you know, he's got, it's full of anxieties or whatever. 
Um, he has a nervous breakdown in high school. He's got something going on. His, his dad's out of the picture. He's being raised by his mom, but he's not dumb. He knows shit's going on. And when he talks to people, he takes their answers seriously. So when the teachers tell him this, he says, Oh my God. And he thinks, is that really true? And he takes that on board and he doesn't like, you know, hide it. He writes about it. So I, I feel this is very much, you know, the, the robot is like an institution. It's not an actual robot, right? Because at, at one point he even notes, um, and there, the institutions replace parents in a certain way, right? So at one point he notes, um, the doctor, oh, he's not a human. It has fleshy covering over its metal arms. It's not like the other robots in the hospital or the robot taxi drivers, which there are two of in this story, right? Um, there's also, uh, at one point, there's a strapping late model robot, right? Like, the, yeah, strapping's a very strange Right. Word. Well, that's, a, is the, they're sexually replacing. Charged, yeah. They're replacing Ed, right? They are, um, so the doctor replaces Ed in the relationship. He, in fact, adopts the child, right? Takes the child away from the mother, who has no problem with it. Right. So, yeah, he might not be talking about a secret missing child. He might be talking about himself. But this is like not coming from nowhere because <laughs> he's he's writing about him like these amazing psychological conditions that he's he's projecting onto his dad, onto his mom is like this unfeeling uh, monster that doesn't care that the child doesn't need to be touched or whatever. It's like, did she read Dr. Spock? No, I think that's a little later. Cause he's 19, he's born in 1928, right? But there's, these things are in the air. And then he sees about it in, in the modern stuff and he's thinking about his marriages and all that stuff. So, um, it, I was thinking a lot about, uh, in this particular story, I was thinking a lot about that, um, abortion story. What was the abortion truck story? Evans muted. Paul, do you remember the abortion truck oh. story? Oh, um, you mean... It's the ice cream truck that's actually an abortion truck. It's a quite a late story. I can't remember the name of it. In any case, um, children hiding in thorn bushes to avoid being picked up by the the uh, abortion truck. <laughs> because it's going to do a postpartum abortion. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> this is... The crawlers? No, that's also an abortion story, but no. Yeah, okay, I mixed it my abortion story. So <laughs> yeah. uh, pre-person? The pre-person. Person, that thank right. you. Is that right? Is that the one? No, I can't remember. Anyways. I'm like imagining like the abortion truck playing like turkey uh, yes. straw. Like, you know. Yeah, no, it plays a music. This is the infanticide story. Uh, is that the one with the abortion truck with the boys hiding? Yeah. And then the father yeah. agrees to go into the abortion truck with him? It's like, yeah, if, if you're no, 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 yeah, pick no, up the strays. Yeah. I mean, no, the pre-persons is a different abortion story. That's the one with the clinic and the guy that's can't remember math. There's the trucks and the pre-persons. That's oh, something. Yeah, like yeah. He, he, gets remember the he gets in the truck. Okay. Then, okay. Then I'm not yeah. forgetting, remembering all the details. Yeah. That, okay. that one's like uh, from the seventies or something, right? 1974. Yeah. And the ability to master algebra was the test for having a soul. Right. 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 So the ability to manipulate, um, 
uh, logical concepts like the robots. Yes. They, they're the ones in our story, progeny, that have a real soul or a spirit. And, um, uh, the humans like Ed have a, a sort of animal soul. So, uh, in a sense, what I'm thinking this story is about is, is it's, it's saying authority says this. What happens if that's true? Um, well, his answer one is, um, if, if it's true that we will not have Oedipal complexes and all the neuroses that I have, <laughs> uh, by having, being raised by, uh, robots that don't touch you and, uh, say they love you and give you food, but rather you're served by robots in the cafeteria, um, that'll turn you into it's like, a, uh, a being monster. being raised in a boarding school. Yes. It, it, that's exactly what this is about, right? It's about institutions. And what governments say, you're mandated to go to this school, you're mandated to join this army, you're mandated to do this. And what's the consequence to that? He's saying it's a really bad consequence, but I'm not going to say what it is because he doesn't really know. But the opposite is, you know, uh, not uh, ignoring your baby when it's crying. It's uh, seeing what the baby's crying about and (coughs) attending to it, keeping the baby with you at all times. So I, I am very talky, so maybe some other people want to talk about what's going on in this story. <laughs> no. Well, I agree. I think it's primarily about institutions. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, I already kind of said it, but it's how institutions sell themselves. Because, you know, the mom, she wasn't exactly acting selfishly. She thought she was doing what was best for the kid. Right. So in a way, you know, she thought it was but modern she's or whatever. She's yeah, trusting. she trusted the institutions to, you know, give her the correct information and tell her what was actually best. But she's also and being she, inhuman by not wanting to, you know, bring the baby to her breast and uh, smell it and all the things that we would think of as normal human animal thing. But right? from her point of view, she was told that those things are bad for the kid and she wants what's but best she, for the kid. But she's not sad about it either. She's like, I was chatting, yes. I was chatting with the doc, with the doctor while the uh, birthing was happening. Right. He, he arrived sending that kid off and to she's school. Smoking. Public school. Yeah. Smoking. She, she, yeah, she is literally. I mean, smoking. people aren't sad sending their kid off to public school. Yeah, it's true. Well, so I, don't, was, I don't see why you'd expect her to be sad. Because the entire ideology of the system, if the entire ideology of the system is telling her this is what's best for your kid, but she shouldn't she have like sexual thing? Oh, there's there's definitely a sexual thing. Uh, She's sitting smoking with with the doctor when as if she had at least um fantasize fantasy sex with the the doctor. Rather, he's the real father. Yeah, the post coil cigarette. Yeah, absolutely. So Absolutely. it's okay. not just uh, ideological. There's a sort of um, there's a cuckolding uh, going a, on for sure. A, a, a libidinal um, uh, implication in the system, and and in fact, you only have to push psychoanalysis uh, a tiny little bit, as some people have done, and the um, biological Oedipus complex um, can um, be sublimated into an institutional Oedipus complex. Yeah. So that seems about uh, seems to be well. I, I don't I don't think 
you know, the mom would necessarily be be upset. Like if you're a parent, let's say in like 1986 and the doctor says, whoa, your kid has uh, ADD. He needs amphetamines called Ritalin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the mom isn't going to like, oh, no, amphetamines for my child. Oh, no, this is a horrible she's, thing. No, she's going to say the doctor. But, but there's a difference, right? So like uh, there's a there, there's a biological thing that if the animal, you know, the calf comes out of the cow. And what does the cow do? It starts licking the baby, right? And it cleans it And you it should all know up. this because you keep showing me pictures of farm animals. And literally happening, right? <laughs> literally happening. Um, <laughs> and it starts I, I think the- you underestimate how much culture and institutions can I, I uh, agree. erode those those. I think I think you're right. I think you're right. But I also think she is she is a monster because of it. And he is saying she is. Well, then we're all monsters. Yeah. Like, Jesse, you're talking about the more primitive part of the nervous system. Yes. It's overridden (laughs) by, uh, you know, cognition and uh, the more higher brain functions. Dr. Bish, what is this weird white liquid coming out of my breasts? <laughs> Please um, help me, Doctor Bish. I will. Have, I will give you a shot for that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very much like what we have uh, today. It's like when I was growing up, everybody didn't didn't need a diagnosis. No, but now everybody has a diagnosis. The oh, diagnosis yeah, was he's has, an idiot. You know, whatever, whatever. <laughs> what a moron! Uh, and it's like the institution is almost like the internet which is full of misinformation. Well, uh, let's talk about let's talk about the institution here being it's it's kind of like it an institute. It's a scientific place. So they go to the hospital, it's Los Angeles Central Hospital. And he arrives a little bit late for the birth, but that's okay because he gets to see his son, except he can't touch him. And then as the wife says, you know, I can't believe you've forgotten all this information that was so important that you know, info dump, <laughs> right? Which is, we don't touch our son. We've chosen Pete for the name. And he says, Pete, that's not a bad name for, for a son. Um, when do we, we get him? When do we get him? Oh, he's going to be in the hospital for a couple of days. But when do we get him? No, then he goes to this school for nine years. The waveform says he's going there. And then notice it's not... Uh, then from age nine, he goes to another institution, right? Mm-hmm. And then once he's fully grown up and 100%, he's 100% not damaged. His brain is no longer plastic. Yep. That's when they and can Then we him. can be with him all we want. Which is when he's an adult, I guess, is the idea. Right. Yeah. And then you had no relationship to him all at all, right? Other than, oh, he yeah, was my like, bio dad. like, you know, they, he's... he's uh, molded into what the institute wants and when he gets to be with his parents they're not going to change him right and there's no talk about the mom because it says no longer so plastic that's the point yes and and the fact that the mom is out of the picture after the opening right all we hear about her is she she, they're divorced and they're broken up right well no wonder but what, what is Ed Loyce's alternative, right? He says, or not Ed Loyce, Ed Doyle. His alternative is, son, I think you might want to come with me. And then he extols the virtues of that other place, right? Which is the frontier theme that uh, Evan so rightly picked up on that Philip K. Dick is, is going for. On the frontier, there's 
lots of open space. There's mountains and valleys. There's no squirrels, unfortunately. But what we do have is a lot of people who need a lot of uh, servicing. <laughs> and then it struck me at one point, like, what is Pete's dad's job? He's he's just the plumbing. <laughs> That's his only job is to provide the sperm. And it's like horrible, right? I, I mean, you 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 laugh. Yes, he's just about plumbing. But you know, like watching things like Star Trek and things like that, where you see all these high high end jobs. I mean, all the officers. But in the end, there are people who need to build and maintain those ships and those systems. It's not a glamorous job, but they're still necessary. You even if you try to program robots and stuff to do that, you still in the end need people to actually do grunt work. That's kind of like it's kind of like in the army, where in the end you can have all the tanks and drones you want. In the end, you still need infantry. You still need the average person in order to be successful. And um, I, I was thinking about Ed's job on the frontier, and one way to read the story is that he's. He's been so obsessed with going to the frontier and doing his job out there that he's basically pushed away his wife. And as a result, that's set this whole dominoes in motion that his wife has basically sent his son into this uh, institution because the father is away all the time on the frontier. I mean, it's kind of like the I think I think the analogy to make would be like since since this 1950s, a traveling salesman who's away from home all the time. He's yes. trying to make a living, trying to make money for the yes. family, but he's never home. And as a result, Janet leaves him. And Definitely. and who can exactly blame him? Her. Oh, I, 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 oh, I, I blame like, her. There's something really important here, actually. Like to the like the gender nature of labor-saving technology, mm-hmm. I think, isn't always acknowledged. Like, like I think Phil Dick doesn't get this fully, uh, to be honest. Like, I, I've talked about this a lot in, in when I did my Phil K. Dick uh, read-through, is he's mm-hmm. so hostile to, like, labor-saving technology yes. of any sort. But so much of that was, like, in a gendered sense, very, very, like, liberatory for women. Like, the washing machine, right? Or, like... Uh, the microwave, you know, the, the refrigerator. Microwave. But who raises kids? Like, who does the grunt work of raising kids, especially in the 1950s when this story was written? And I think still in most cultures and in most families today, it, it's mostly women's work yes. to do the bullshit of raising kids, like mm-hmm. dealing with the day to day frustrations, dealing with the making the lunch every day. The father can stroll in from Alpha Centauri or whatever and, and play catch with the kid or whatever. But mm-hmm. in effect, like the the wife here is making the rational choice in the sense of like, I can have the state raise this kid for me. I can have the robots do it for me. And that means I'm not going to have to spend like 80% of my life doing this shit work. She can spend and, it and the husband doesn't get it. With doctors, right? Yeah, but the, the husband doesn't get that because he was never going to have to be obliged to do that work. That's true. But at, yeah, at a certain point, Dick's got safe. this problem. Dick really does have this problem where he doesn't realize how liberatory labor-saving technology is. But at a certain point in the story, you're absolutely <clears throat> right. But at a certain point in the story, at age nine, he says, yeah. son, come with me. 
And he's basically saying, we can, this is going to be our business, right? And he says, I've got 600 employees. And he mm-hmm. talks about, you know, how there's a lot of things that need doing out there. And they were just going to expand into the next solar system out beyond Prox. And so it's like he's offering him like nature and, you know, self-fulfillment. And it has no appeal to the kid. Well, not surprising because he's been in an institution for nine years, right? Doesn't know this guy, won't even accept his sandwich. Of course. But uh, that's the extrovert of it with the nerdy kid. Son, don't you want to learn to be a real man? Come and play baseball um, in the wild and eat hamburgers and um, yeah, be surprised. Yeah. The, the, the son likes uh, sitting at home uh, uh, reading Working on plans and playing to destroy his, humanity. <laughs> his computer, yes, or to improve them, to perfect them, yeah. make them less smelly and, and, and more docile. There's a story called Sales Pitch, which I was also thinking a lot about in this story. That's the one where the husband or the wife bring home a a robot um, that starts immediately replacing the husband in all the little household tasks, right? And uh, on the in the ads for um, when he's commuting uh, through space to Jupiter or wherever it is, the ads are for like replacing. Uh, body parts so you don't smell so bad like uh, <laughs> you have your colon replaced with a plastic <laughs> tube <laughs> it's like and then no more sweat sweating no more sweat glands right like all the things that make you literally an animal those we are going to replace them and 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 make everything antiseptic right so there, there is this like um <laughs> this idea is you know just make sure that children are clean at all times and then there's this other thing is like, let them go out and get beat up. And which is the better path? And one is like the mom saying, let's make sure the, the runny nose isn't a cold. Right. And the other one is like, he needs to go on a boat and learn the ropes because that's the real world. And they're both right. Right. The mom's instinct and the dad's instinct. But when you say the institution is the solution, they're both wrong. I mean, I, I, I think it was Evan who uh, was talking about uh, labor saving and, uh, you know, the women. And, you know, I mean, I understand that all of those devices saved women a lot of labor. But I think it, it was, from Philip K. Dick's point of view, she was giving up a lot of power uh, to the institutions. Yeah. And there might be a balance between the two. Um, you know, there's a Mildred Klingerman story uh, written in the 50s uh, where, you know, the, the husband buys the wife an automated kitchen and she feels threatened because the kitchen is doing all of her cooking for mm-hmm. her and she feels like she's being replaced by the automated that's kitchen. That's about seven Ray um, Bradbury stories, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah that's uh, the Catherine Beecher kind of argument of separate spheres. If you go back to the 19th century... Catherine Beecher argued she never married, by the way. She's this is an interesting case. She was actually like an academic. But she argued that women should control the domestic sphere, and this is the bastion of their power, and therefore they should have 100% control over it, and they should use science and, and, and knowledge and education to rationalize the domestic sphere, right? She even wrote books about how to be most efficient in, in managing this this area 
I mean, sure. Um, I'd like to see women writers, I guess, talk about that. Yeah, Philip K. Dick is, is very good at giving us a yeah. viewpoint, not 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 <laughs> uh, not other viewpoints. I mean, it is it is astounding how he can manage to fit in a little mm-hmm. glowing breast. When I'm like, why are they glowing? Is that because like they're they're spray on glowing stuff, or no? It's just because she's glowing because she just gave birth. But that the attention to the breast is it's not completely out of the crazy, right? Because the baby needs milk, and we. By the way, like you know, uh, there was a recent crisis in the United States of not enough baby formula. Um, right. Well, you know, baby formula is really bad for kids, and it's bad for dogs. It's bad for everybody. You, the mother's milk has stuff in it besides, you know, calories, and it gives benefits to the animals, whether they're humans or non-humans. Not saying you have to be breastfeeding at all time, but you could use a breast pump. You could do a bunch of things. So why is there this giant reliance on this artificial milk? Because the institutions say that's a good thing and you should use it. Why? Well, you know, it's convenient, right? Well, maybe it's because you're at work. <laughs> Saving women the, the ability to uh, not have to be burdened by their kids by putting them in school is saving them uh, something. But then they're in the factory or the office, or the school, raising other people's children, or building equipment to help raise other people's children. So a lot of inst- you know institutional efficiency is um, the target here. I think it's you know the men woman relationship. Yeah, they have bad marriage for sure, uh, <laughs> for sure. But um, the menace I think is is like uh, unstated because he's not he doesn't literally think that people are going to be replaced by robots, but he's saying that maybe the Oedipus complex is worth it. You know, (laughs) like I'm fucked up and everything, but Jesus, this is bad. It's a really interesting story. This kind of shows that uh, corporations don't always do what's best for you. They do what's best for them. Yeah. It's not just corporations though, Mike, you've got, you've got like this hospital could be a corporation, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But it could be a go- it could be a government. It could be facility. it's some sort of it's some sort of government uh, regulated it, 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 facility at, at the very least, right? Because of the it, it, legal requirements. Go, oh, Paul. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's it's it, it's some sort of institution, be it government, corporate, gov- private partner, um, public private partnership. It it's a it's an entity in the legal and well, according to the Supreme Court. Um, uh, legal sense, it's a person. Mm. It's a it, it, it's a it's a legal person that's now taking that now that's now acting. But it's not a caring person. It's not. No, a, it's not caring. Ca- it, it's capable act- of caring. No, no, it, it's it's acting his own best interest because consider why 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 is the son being pushed into organic chemistry? Because because that's what his waveform says, right? That's yeah, that, the, that, the that, test. That's the, the tests that's the tell test. us he's going to be a he's going to be a rocket jockey or whatever. That's that's so what they organic say. organic chemistry. Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 the father says, well, and and the father says, well, like, well, what does he want? And and the son doesn't even understand the questions. Like, well, I'm just this is what he I'm smiles. Good at. He smiles. He says, you're so stupid. You think desire has anything to do with it? <laughs> like well, that. He, 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 he's basically, he's basically, yeah, he's basically negating the idea of, 
doing something you want to do rather than something you're you're proficient or or even or have an aptitude the, the, for. The, the robots and the man all have emotions. They're just evil emotions, right? They're like, um, think about our character of Ed, right? Uh, maybe he's not the best boss to his 600 employees. I don't know. But he doesn't lie to anybody in here. He's a little bit uh, hesitant to say why he wants to see his son. That's about as close to lying he gets. The rest is yep. he's very earnest, and he, he he's excited about seeing a newborn child. So it's designed to be sympathetic towards him. And everybody else has something wrong with them, right? The the wife, the kid, the robot, right? So it's it's, it's kind of propaganda-y. <laughs> but I think it's for that point of saying, like, why do we trust this institution? It says the way the waveform shot or whatever it is, right? So they took a photo of his plastic brain that's able able to change into anything, and they say it's suitable for something. Turns out it's suitable for biochemistry. What's the purpose of that? Well, it's implied. It's you know they're gonna fuck around with humans. They're gonna make them less uh, sweaty. They're gonna maybe make them non-existent, just like the squirrels that are disappearing, right? So it's a, it's a big threat. And the alternative oh, is the clean living uh, on the alien planet that's, you know, West Texas or whatever. Sorry, go well, for yes, it, Well, the cleanness, um, you, you would think maybe because everything's so antiseptic that he wouldn't emphasize the cleanness, but it's um, uh, non-unpolluted. Uh, and then when you you think when he, he gets um, uh, to see his wife, for the first time after um, uh, she gave birth, she's smoking, yep. and then she drinks a, a brandy frappe, and she's really well informed about um, uh, what's best for the child. But um, she's she's been uh, reading all the not books. well informed about her own health. Right, right. She's been reading Doctor Spock. Um, yes, no, but, but Spock, not um, uh, Gaylord Hauser. Yeah, the equivalent. Right. For, uh, for nutrition. I, I remember, uh, when I was, uh, a certain age, my, my mom was really into, uh, all of the parent, parenting books. Yep. And she would read a parenting book. She would start that style of parenting. <laughs> she would read another parenting book with a different style of parenting. And then she would completely switch next week to yep. something like, uh, the opposite. Mm -hmm. Then she'd read another one, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's very interesting how the, how they sell all, all of these uh, things to parents. But what I was going to say is the frontier is actually a very interesting part of the story mm -hmm. because it, it like the wife is like, well, there's nothing for me there. There's no shopping. There's no clubs. There's no social life. Uh, but he's like, hey, it's great. You're out in the open and you can do whatever you want. Um, that that's like they say that like old science fiction is optimistic and the frontier is really the optimistic part of the story because Phil K. Dick knew that that earth was going to hell. And he said, well, there's a escape valve, there's outer space mm -hmm. and we're living in a world, not that much different from progeny except without the escape of that's getting right. to the frontier. It's, they were very optimistic. He was an optimist. There's some, uh, I want to read this section describing the doctor. Hello, Doc, Ed sat down nervously across from them. Then it's all over. The event has happened. 
Dr. Bish said. His voice was thin and metallic. Ed realized with a sudden shock that the doctor was a robot. A top-level robot, made in human form, not like the ordinary metal-limbed workers. It had fooled him. He had been away so long. Dr. Bish appeared plump and well-fed. <laughs> what? <laughs> with kindly features and eyeglasses. Why? Why? His large fleshy hands rested on the desk, a ring on one finger. Why does a robot have a ring on one finger? Is he married? Pinstripe suit and necktie. Diamond tie clasp. Nails carefully manicured. Hair black and evenly parted. Why does this doctor look like that? Why does he need to manicure his nails? They don't grow. <laughs> They're simulated manicured nails, right? But he has a he has a pinstripe suit. He's a businessman. He's a big shot, right? And more importantly, he's a white collar. Unlike Ed, who's you know a pipe he's very blue collar. Even if very he much has six hundred employees, he's, he's still just blue collar. He's just the baby daddy, right? He's just the the sweaty guy who's rushed in from the airport to see his kid. And the kid's like, who are you? <laughs> and has no emotions towards him at all. Have you seen a squirrel before? He asks. I don't know. Maybe. Like, doesn't know, doesn't care. Horrible. Horrible. So it's all leaned on all one way, right? So that we get that sense. But the, but the, the message is, it's like, we can't trust this. He doesn't say what the answer is. But he says, Trusting it is the bad thing. Like, how do you know that this is what we should do, wife? And the answer is, we agreed. <laughs> you Don't you remember we agreed to this? And he's like, I guess so. <laughs> he seems really uh, unsure that he remembers that. Well, I, I, I presume that this wasn't a sperm donation, right? Like, they were no. intimate at some point. They, um, uh... They, they, before he left to go to outer space, they say they gave her like a shot. And that was to I, determine I, the gender of the child, I think. But that wouldn't that have been like, like a deposit that gets inserted later, maybe? I thought it was only gone six months. Yeah, I think that was. It hasn't changed in six months. So he was hanging around with her for uh, a while before. Yeah, so he, he's, he's often away. They could have had natural sex at that time. Yeah, he's the. I mean, I you know he he got into it because there was a lady with boobs and he's Philip K. Dick, right? So you know he fell in love with her. <laughs> Turns out she's a monster. Why is she a monster? Because she trusts the institutions to tell her that if you don't do it this way, then your kid will grow up to be have all sorts of neuroses. And he's like, geez, I I guess I'm full of neuroses too. And he looks in the mirror and says, yes, I am. Right. It's like very on. He's, he's writing about himself and his own life. It's so amazing. I don't like you get a little bit of this in H.P. Lovecraft. Right. You say, oh, that's why this character is like that is because it's, you know, he's writing what he knows. But here that that amazing transformation thing where he, he says this character is a robot, even though he looks like, you know, just a regular, you know, successful businessman. Which are you know, and not sweaty, right? Not hairy. You know, you know, Jesse. One thing that uh, you know, I got as you were talking about the robots. These uh, science fiction writers have a fear of the robots becoming too human. For example, in Isaac Asimov's "Let's Get Together," mm -hmm. you know, where uh, there are these robots out there that form a critical mass 
that we can't recognize them as robots. And uh, I think this is a you know a fear a lot of these uh, science fiction writers have is that the robots become too much of a perfect imitation of human beings. Yeah, and I think he's he's sort of saying something like Asimov is really interesting. And I read a story recently called Virtuoso that's it's by a guy named Herbert Goldstone. It's the only story he ever wrote, but it got a lot of republished. Um, and it's about it's about a robot that learns to play the piano. Um, and then the, it, it does it overnight and becomes an amazing pianist, right? And the owner, who is a maestro, uh, retired composer or whatever, he says, we're going to put you on tour. And the robot's like, no, I'm never going to play the piano again because music is supposed to be hard, right? So that, that one is literally about telling us about music and about how something shouldn't be automated. It's kind of AI art as well. But in this case, I think you can almost like dismiss the fact that, uh, there's two robot taxi drivers in this because they are acting like robots rather than our robots. They're literally, I think the way to read them is they are literally human beings <laughs> who are obeying instructions, instructions that the robot, uh, institution that employed them in school and employed them, uh, afterwards are turning them into robot, robotic people. It's like uh, when, when Philip K. Dick tried to do ROTC, right? He failed the first day because that's the most institutional robotic thing, right? You have to learn to twirl your batons and rifles and wear your uniform properly and not sweat so much and get a haircut. And it's like, those are all things that are hard for me. So it's really interesting because he is he he is a science fiction writer and he does write about robots, but his robot stories are so different from Philip K. Dick's uh, Asimov's, mm -hmm. right? Or this, yeah. you know, I, 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 Jesse, with this, I'm going to have to leave. I got an appointment coming up, but well, I really enjoyed yeah. jumping in with you guys and uh, really appreciate your recording it for us. Oh uh, yes, yeah, even though I mispronounced progeny. No, it's fine. You got it right. You got it right again. Not in the book I published. Well, in the one I've got, it's, it's perfect. I'm pretty yeah, well, sure. I fixed it. I fixed it oh, because there you, you told me to. Thank you, sir. Well, okay. You. Good to meet you guys. Take care, Mike. Bye, Mike. Okay. Bye, bye. Bye now. I was I was just about to say, um, reading this, it struck me it could have easily been a chapter in the novel version of the Humanoids by Jack Williamson. It was that similar in in just content and tone. To right. I, I, I think I read that a million years ago. I think you've mentioned but, it to me before. Yeah, there's two versions. There's the uh, short version that was uh, serialized in Astounding, and then it was expanded into a novel. They're very different. In the short version, it takes place on Earth. In the novel, it takes place on an alien planet. Um, so there's there, there, he changed a lot, but the, the expanded novel version, it's uh, really good. Um, but because uh, it's the same thing, like you know, you try to argue with the robot, and the robot has an answer to any objection that you could bring up. Right. Rebuttal. Um, yeah, and that's actually really important. Like this is actually a really important concept um, that I tell my students about. It's like any word that you're somebody uses that you don't know the meaning of, you are subject to that word. So you go to the hospital and the doctor says, you have a subdural hematoma. And you say, oh my God, what does that mean? Well, if you know what a subdural hematoma is, you probably won't be uh, 
asking that question. Because <laughs> 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 you've got uh, bleeding under your jura, <laughs> which is bad. It puts pressure on your brain, and we might need to drain your brain by drilling a hole in the top of your head. Oh, doctor, I know exactly how we fix this, right? So when we put ourselves into the hands of institutions or other people, we are actually subjecting ourselves to their ideologies and their, you know, sometimes that's a good thing, you know, people. And and that's why, you know, kids have parents is because they aren't born with perfect knowledge about reality and they need somebody there to mention, you know, uh, look both ways before you cross the street. These cities are dangerous places. Um, but it's a, it's a really, it's a hard concept to get across, but Philip K. Dick is obsessed with trying to do it. I, I, and I think when we read, like most of the time when we read these stories, we just like, um, say, wow, that's really powerful, but we don't know, we don't try to figure out why. So like I never saw the frontier in Philip K. Dick at all. Until Evan pointed out, like, holy shit, he's exactly right. It's exactly, you know, it's always the, as you were saying, Jonathan, it's the escape valve, right? It's the place we can run off to. And, yeah, where can you run off to now? There is no frontier. (laughs) I think they they actually do exist, but they're not uh, perceived as options. Like, usually there was a a perceived option, right? Like, uh, go west, young man. That's where you go. But uh, where do Americans run off to? Taiwan? (laughs) Right? Like, (laughs) right? I mean, where, where, but that's not, that's not perceived as an option. Paul, you could run off to Vietnam. Um, no, that would be Sean, not me. Right. But that's my point is like, why? It's just not an option, right? What are you going to say, Jonathan? Well, the whole frontier, go west, go man, uh, Miss Columbia, and all that was, mm-hmm. was propaganda. Yeah, the, absolutely. Setting and the, you know, you, you run off and you get to plant a flag, and where you plant the flag is your little acre mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, that that was that even that was institutionalized. It was maybe yeah, it's a, gov- a government giving it. you an outlet, right? Yeah. <laughs> a safety valve for it, society, even. It was real, like that free real estate that that American inherited was. I mean, it shaped politics for most of American history. Same in Canada. You could always you could always pick up pick up your stakes and go. And and there was was an option that you were directed towards, and it had massive effects. Everybody moved to Saskatchewan for the free land, and then everybody moved out of Saskatchewan and went to Vancouver for the jobs, right? Because free land's good, but not once. you get, you know, grub steak enough to move move to even greener grasses. Right? Dust Bowl didn't just affect uh, U.S. Mm. So and that, that's a part of history that isn't taught down here very much. Yeah, well, how much the Dust Bowl hit Canada as well? Wasn't as much. <laughs> but still. But, but yeah, they, they called them the Dirty Thirties up here. Yeah, that was like three million people were displaced uh, mm-hmm. during the Dust Bowl, yeah. and, uh, and the same the same stuff's actually happening now, but we don't have the the language to describe it, right? So n- there's a lot of people moving out of California to Texas because sure. because there's jobs there. Um, the COVID restrictions were not so bad for businesses or none, basically, right? And Florida is the same story, right? So people m- will move if they have to. Um, 
but notice that's internal movement, right? It's not like, uh, we've got this, um, and there's a, I, I want to talk a little bit about the religion in this because, mm-hmm. um, Evan's video, the guy, uh, uh, on his end of his blog post called John Taylor Gatto, state controlled consciousness. He talked about how, um, I never thought about this before, but the, uh, how every utopian movement has its own institution that it builds to propagate it, right? So Sunday school is one of them. He didn't, he didn't mention that, but that's one. I remember a lot of kids had to go to Sunday school. The reason you do that is so you can propagate your ideology. You don't go there because it's fun. <laughs> you go there because you have to. Um, so, uh, Dr. Bish, his, his full name, by the way, Dr. 2G-Y Bish, uh, only thing I thought of was Bishop. Um, and if he is, uh, propagating an ideology, it is, it is one, you know, that we actually do see children taken away from their parents and put into religious orders, right? Um, in Canada. Yeah, but, 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 but I don't know if they're of... taken away so much as, I mean, well, they're I called mean, residential are... schools in Canada, right? Okay, okay, okay. That's what you're talking about. I thought you were talking about something else. Okay, go. Well, ahead. but this isn't the only place that it happened, right? Residential schools happen in Australia, a bunch of other places. You do that. They they, they happened here as well. They yeah, happen, they yeah absolutely. Here as well. But they're you know a much bigger story here because of the percentage of population, uh, more indigenous people per non-indigenous, right? So right. we've got. Uh, and this institution is designed to uh, break up the family and make the the people broken up uh, more subject to governmental control, which is what they did. But they, it was outsourced to religion. And I don't think Philip Kiddick is saying necessarily that, but he might be. I mean, he's interested in religion, uh, but he also wasn't very good at going to uh, uh, keeping doctrine. With his whatever religion he was going in with, what do you think, Evan? Yeah, I I, I think that's an interesting idea. I'm just wondering but... about this this name, Doctor. There's not very many characters in this story. There's the wife, who's uh, Janet. Yeah, uh, husband I'm, I'm, Ed. I'm not going to jump from Bish to Bishop, but uh, I think it's it's fine. Yeah, it's 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 a big jump because there's not any other stuff going on there, but there's also so you know a strapping late late model robot and and two taxi driver robot taxi drivers. Yeah, and they take some out into the country, right away from, and this is Los Angeles. Takes them out in a surface but, car out into the country and says to the robot driver, "Go back to the city." I mean, I, I do think there's kind of a, a general experience that that people have, like in my generation and and maybe later, of being like when you're the first educated, <coughs> excuse me, the first to go to college, the first generation to go to college, like me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those Thanksgivings, those 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 times back, they. They're a little weird. It takes yeah. you a while. You mentioned to, this in your podcast. It's very interesting. Yeah, it, it takes you a while to. And in my case, it took at least four or five years to like reorient myself back to like the working class culture I grew up in. 
right? And and some people do it better than others because you're surrounded by but, uh, not white white class or white collar, but ac- academic sorts. Yeah, to think about and, theory a lot and not so much about look, we got to get this fence fixed. And it's pretty inspiring, interesting, interesting stuff. It's it's not bad stuff that you're exposed to. No, it's good. it's just when you. It's something that excites you, actually. It's a good thing about it. You're excited about this new stuff you're Intellectual learning. Intellectual st- stimulation. When you try to communicate that to, like, your parents or or maybe friends you had when you're back home, like on the holidays or whatever, it doesn't translate very well. And it, and it, and it takes a little bit of while to, like, rebalance how you talk to people. Yeah, absolutely. This is actually like, I think this is what I say, like most people don't read. It's not that they don't read anything. It's that they just don't read books. They read, you know, signs, they read newspapers, they read the lottery or, you know, whatever bits of information. So unless you're constantly building up, uh, you know, the fact that I know who Jack Williamson is and haven't read a lot of him. Um, is part of it, right? Terrence, you probably know yeah. who Jack, uh, Jack Williamson is. I don't know much about mm-hmm. Deleuze, but I know you talk about him a lot. But uh, <coughs> try talking about Deleuze to somebody who's never read uh, anything other than, you know, the newspaper. You won't <laughs> find yeah. it. And maybe yeah. maybe France is different. I don't know. But here it's not. Uh, you know, people are talking yeah. about uh, cows and chickens, <laughs> horses. <laughs> not, not so much horses. There are no horses on Vancouver Island? Uh, I'm sure there are, just not around these parts. It's all chicken business right now, cow business. So there's the other culture, as Evan was saying, which, as Evan was saying, uh, there's the second dimension, the um, uh, going, um, getting uh, initiated into, uh, uh, can you say more bourgeois culture? There's, there's a yeah. sort of a, a class gap as well. Going from a working class family to university, you've got the double gap. Um, yeah. because it's not just the knowledge and the culture that is different and you can't translate back. There's the sort of the manners and ambitions and expectations. I think, uh, experience of life. So yeah. that's, that's there as well. It's, it's so rich. Yeah, 100%. This is why, you know, we're reading a story, uh, you know, fairly obscure Philip K. Dick story from the 1950s and finding it incredibly rich is because it is super rich. Uh, it's just unusual. One thing. So one thing I kept thinking of as I was listening, mm-hmm. as I was reading the story and following the, the nine, Years of the Dead, trying to connect with the with the son is Paul sings the classics. Jesse, mm-hmm. it's Harry Chaplin's Cats in the Cradle. Uh, I don't know. This was this go uh, Cats in the Cradle and the Cradles on Fire. <laughs> I don't no, know. no. Um, the oh, co- I know I'll, song, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll give you the call. And the Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon, with the boy blue and the man on the moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. Mm. You know, we'll have a good time then. Basically about a father who's not connected to his son, and by the mm. time he actually gets to him, connect with his son, the son had once nothing, yeah, nothing to do with him. It's like so. It's like I noticed that's that fits, like that fits in time. with the Oedipus complex, right? What's he want to mm-hmm. do? He wants to. He, well, he doesn't want to, but he has to kill his father and marry his mother. <laughs> that's a horrible thing. You don't want to do that. But uh, 
Where did this idea of the Oedipus complex come from? It doesn't come from the Greeks. It comes from <laughs> the later guys. It comes saying, from Freud. Yes. Yeah. It right? comes from Sigmund Freud. And, and it's an interesting theory, and I like talking about it, but is it true? I, th- I would say not exactly. I don't really want to murder my father and marry my mother. I do <laughs> like my mom, but not in that way. And yet... I think there is this idea of you recapitulate, right? The relationships that you are trained in. If you don't train animals uh, or if animals don't train other animals to do what comes naturally to them, we think um, they can't hunt, they can't fish, they can't do all the things that they naturally would do and will die in nature. And that same is true with humans. If you take a kid and you lock them in the basement and you don't let them out, um, they're not great at uh, interacting with other humans and reproducing themselves in the natural environment. How do I know? I've, I've done this experiment. It hasn't worked out any of the seven times I've tried. <laughs> oh, God, Jesse. <laughs> well, maybe that's not true, but you get my point. He's I'm like, hoping it's not true. <laughs> you know, I just oh, abduct uh, babies I, I from hospitals. and sexual going on. I mean, Oedipus... Lots of people afterwards say, well, it's not exactly like that. Maybe Oedipus is a structure and not the actual... He likes older women. What do you want? (laughs) But uh, I was wondering the story, where is the sexuality? Where is the uh, libido? Mm. And one thing was when he he comes and it's like his wife had just slept with the doctor. And the uh, second thing is in the the attitude of of Dr. Bish... Um, one is that supposedly, according to his wife, um, uh, he was looking at, um, at Peter, the baby, uh, with a look that was greedy. Mm. And there's another thing, um, uh, because you say, well, you don't always talk about Deleuze, but in Anti-Oedipus, um, there is a, a, a passage where they're saying that the bureaucrat caresses, um, uh, the the forms with just as much uh, libido as somebody else um, will do with um, something else without getting um, specific. And then there's a passage that was really strange where um, when Ed comes after nine years, I think, to um, get um, uh, the permission to um, see his son, mm-hmm. and he asked to oh, – it's at the bottom of page 71 mm-hmm. in your PDF, um, and he asked to be um, alone, and Dr. Bish um, said nothing. He stroked the papers he held, mm-hmm. creasing the edges with his nail. So uh, – He's Why considering. Sort of a, a tick, but at least he's caressing, um, mm-hmm. stroking the um, the the forms. The the bureaucrat has uh, um, plugged his desire into outside um, human um, relations and into um, bureaucratic relations with rules and regulations mm-hmm. and. And forms. Yes. So it was just a little detail. It's but, an amazing um, detail. And it, it, it's, it, shrinks, it rings really true. You go to the police. You say, hey, my home has just been robbed. My son's been kidnapped. And the police say, well, let me get out this paperwork and uh, we'll get see if there's a detective on duty. And they love it. They <laughs> love it. But what they love about it 
is two things. One, it, it gives them something to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you would think a robot would not need. <laughs> you would think, given that, you know, they're emotionally, uh, he, he's supposed to be like Mr. Spock, but he's not like Mr. Spock. That is Pete, right? He's not like Mr. Spock at all. He's like the robot, which is kind of sinister and evil. Um, but also aloof. Um, and so do it when you do that, when you, uh, like data before he became more human. Uh, at least data, data had, uh, you know, curiosity and, uh, you know, we liked him. Yeah, the doctor is, is satire. It's, uh, it's somebody you would encounter and you're, he's dressed like somebody you'd encounter in your everyday life and manicured authority. like somebody, but he's yeah. a robot. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, he, he's the embodiment of authority. Yes. You know, it's, uh, but data, data is, is a character. He, he's, he's sympathetic. Oh, yeah. But he has an evil, evil twin, doesn't he? Yeah. Yes, war, yes. Yeah, he has his dark, I mean, and you, which, now we're gonna psychoanalyze Star Trek, you can see that as the dark side of everybody is basically manifest for data as an, different entity i think those I are some of the worst star trek next generation episodes all the lore data stuff one of the things they did to make lore um bad was they gave him a twitch <laughs> right and then uh lore made data have a twitch so that we would know he is bad like this is very like basic uh stuff the problem is well, there's he, a twitch here yeah yeah Go for it. But it's a libidinal tweet. <laughs> you know, Evan, you, you had mentioned institutions. I think you were talking about uh, the university and then going back to the blue-collar uh, area. Um, I kind of, like, understand or empathize or, or get it, um, you know, because I've, I've been, you know, part of, like, different educational institutions. Like, I started my college career at Hampshire College, which was uh, one of the most liberal colleges in the United States. And then I finished it at Fordham University, which was uh, Jesuit, which is a Jesuit university and uh, very structured. Uh, so, you know, just going from the expectations of that very unstructured Hampshire College to the very structured uh, Jesuit University. Uh, there's like completely different expectations, and uh, you know, uh, and just they speak a different language. One's very postmodern, and the other's classicist. And yeah. so, just you know, switching from that postmodern to the classicist language was was very jarring, and I had to do it uh, pretty quickly. Then after. Uh, Fordham, I went to Los Angeles where, you know, nobody knows what postmodernism or classicism are. Mm. It's an uh, institution of Which C students. Hilarious, right? the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I had to learn like a whole different language and a whole different set of expectations. Now I'm back in, uh, you know, a small uh, economically depressed town outside of New York City where half the stores are closed and, you know, nobody cares about any of that. They don't, mm. they, they, they don't care about the stuff in books. That you know, it's not that they don't read; it's that there's like an aversion to that kind of, you know, esoteric. Well, they were they were hit with books know. at school. It why why would you want to endure that? Why would why would you be interested in hating yourself? I I don't get it. Right. Well, it's not just books; it's actually like like lame TV too. Like in LA, if you were if you had a reality TV show, like you were cool. Like that that was like the top oh, yeah. of the you're like the top. Come back here, and like I was like 
with some people like right after I moved back and they mentioned some woman who had a reality TV show where she was a marriage counselor in this reality TV show. And they all started like laughing. She's a reality TV show. What is it on cable? I'm like, wait, why, why would you laugh at that? Like she's making money. She's like a therapist, which is like what you respect is the therapy. So why are you laughing that she has a reality TV show? Like, like if that was LA, she would be considered more successful than the others. But because this is uh, New Jersey, she's considered less successful hmm. because she has the reality TV show. She's hmm. a level beneath. And that's, I think the same thing mm-hmm. as like the aversion to reading books, which is that it's something separate that doesn't have to do with the the struggles of day-to-day life um if if that makes sense mm-hmm. there's i don't has anybody read uh herman hess's uh novel uh peter kamenzine not me not i no, no. Um, I don't well, think so. Okay, so it's a guy who grows up in the Swiss Alps in a very remote area, and some he's sent he's just sent on a to send a message, and some people notice his handwriting, some priests or whatever, and they pay, take him and they put him in a fancy school, and he gets like a fancy education, and then he has like. He graduates and he has nothing to do, but he loves literature, so he just kind of becomes a bohemian in Europe and travels around Europe aimlessly, uh, you know, trying to get a career as a writer. And then at the end, he, he goes back home and he realizes that his rural town was better. Ah. <laughs> not not really because you know he he had like a spiritual transformation because mm. herman hess is a religious writer and he had like a conversion but you know besides that his hometown is is, is better i, I want to read this passage this is uh it strikes me uh ed's blue shirt was stained with sweat he's not he un- this is bottom of 74 top of 74 uh mm-hmm. ed's blue shirt was stained with sweat he unfastened his tie and loosened his collar. Presently, he searched through his coat pockets. He brought out his pipe and tobacco. Peter Peter watched him fill the pipe and light it with a big sulfur match. What's that? He murmured. Not, he said, murmured. This? My pipe, Ed grinned, sucking at the pipe. Haven't you ever seen a pipe? No. This is a good pipe. I got this when I first went out to Proxima. That was a long time ago, Pete. It was 25 years ago. I was just 19 then, so we can do the math, figure out, yeah, he's 44 or whatever. Only about twice as old as you. So this this little scene where he pulls out his pipe, right, and he, he gets a sulfur match. Like, I, I literally think this actually happened. Uh, Philip K. Dick's dad was a World War One veteran, right? He's born in 1928. Um, pipes were a thing, right? And my grandfather was not born in 1928, but he was, uh, you know, World War II guy. Um, and he had pipes. He didn't smoke them anymore because they're bad for you. And then my other grandfather, who was a World War II guy, also had pipes. And he didn't smoke them anymore <laughs> because they're bad for you. But at a certain point in life, every man says, you know what? I have a son now. <laughs> he starts smoking a pipe, right? Because the ritual of filling and lighting a pipe and notice it's not with a lighter this is in the future right they had lighters in the 1950s so why is he using this old-fashioned stuff i think this is an actual image of something that happened to him i mean it's something i've seen other people do myself although not very often but that ritual of light filling and lighting a pipe and then smoking sucking on a pipe and then 
seeing someone, you know, casting smoke out of their nose and all that stuff, right? This guy, Pete, has never seen any of that. So he's a little bit interested in it. And the father doesn't see that. He just, you know, tells, sort of gets lost in his reverie and then tries to relate that reverie to him. And this is like, uh, it, I feel like if he was just a little more skillful, somehow they could have connected and the happy ending c- could have happened, right? But he's not super skillful. He's just a guy, you know, and he's not a bad guy. You know, yeah, he had to go away, but he had the right instinct. He wanted to touch his son. He wanted to hold him, right? And that's, mm-hmm. it, that's what makes it a tragedy is because, like, this kind of tragedy is when, you know, dads fuck off or whatever. Um, they, w- they would like to connect, but there's a problem. Maybe it's the wife, maybe it's the institution, maybe it's capitalism, whatever it is. But there's no malice here from the dad. It's quite the opposite. He wants to connect with him. He doesn't, you know, want to make him into a replica of him. Even, you know, he says we could work together. He's not saying you have to, you know, become like it could have been more explicit. He's just trying to connect with his kid. And he thinks that Earth or, you know, the Earth that we see in the picture is a bad connection. And so there's like a, a great sense of loss in this uh, pretty amazing story. And it's quite interesting how long it is. It's like 46 minutes, something like that. Almost nothing yeah. happens, right? Almost nothing happens. They go for a walk. There's a hospital scene. I mean, and there's just, I mean, there's a lot contained in those four six minutes because we're seeing episodes over nine years, so it feels longer. Big, there's a big gap, though, right? So there's like there's the hospital scene, then we wait nine years, and then we sort of backfill, and we backfill before the nine years, and we. Uh, see a little bit about their relationship. You know, it's a lot of this is just backfilling it, info dumping. And that's why it is so long, but it literally is two scenes, right? Or maybe three scenes if you include the hospital before he gets permission to take the kid out, right? There's a hospital, first hospital scene. Um, then nine years go by. He goes back to the hospital and asks the doctor for permission. Doctor hums and haws and says, fill out these forms. And then they go for the, the ride in the car and the walk, and that's it. And the last scene with um, uh, oh yes, so we're, we're, we're right point of view, yeah, yes, where yeah, we're off with Doctor Bish and Peter, and supposedly it, giving the key to Peter's reactions. Yeah, he was very emotional. There was a distinct bias throughout everything he said. He was <laughs> emotional, but not in a like a ranting and raving way. He was like. I want to connect with you. Can we connect? And the kid's like, that's interesting that you think we can connect. Oof. Yeah, it's, it's emotional, like very much, uh, and, um, anthropological look at the, at the father from the son's point of view. It's like, be, be, because they even talk about, um, around their own race and, so it's very much a distancing at this point, and yeah, that's yeah. just the way it works. And the, and when you, you, you have to be around them, when you hear work with them, yeah, the when you train and mind, when you when we taught you all you can, <laughs> then you will. And then there's that there's that then then there's that uh, broken sentence again you were talking about yes. earlier. Then you will when you will what precisely? Yes. Sorry, I didn't mean to hear that. No, no, no. It's quite right. Um, uh, this is the backstory talking. 
Um, my God, Pete, when I was nine, I was bumming around town in school sometimes, outside mostly, rightly so, right? Wandering here and there, playing reading, sneaking into the rocket launching yards at the time, he considered, doing all sorts of things. When I was uh, 16, I hopped off over to Mars. I stayed there a while, worked as a hasher. So that, I think, could be a guy cooking hash, right? Like at a diner. Mm -hmm. I went on to Ganymede. Ganymede was all sewed up tight. Nothing doing there. From Ganymede, I went out to Prox. Got a work work away. And that's work dash away. Got a work away all the way out. Big freighter. So he got on a... uh, space freighter and worked his way out to Proxima. So he's working. He's a real working man. I went on to Ganymede. Ganymede was also, Oh, I read that part. I went out to Prox, got a work away all the way out, a big freighter. You stayed at Proxima? Asked the kid. I sure did. I found what I wanted, not what he was good at, what he wanted. A nice place out there. Now starting on to serious, you know, Ed's chest swelled. So he's swelling with pride there, right? I've got a little outlet mm-hmm. in Sirius system, little retail and service place, and he's a plumber, right? Everybody needs a plumber. <laughs> when you need a plumber, it's a good, it's a good job. It's like of the blue collar jobs, it's basically the best one. I know. <laughs> the pay is very good. Everybody needs I mean, a yeah, you're working, you're working with people's, um, when the water plumbing. starts flooding, like, yeah. you need a plumber. When the toilet's backed up and you can't fix it, you need a plumber. There's just so many times where you, you need a plumber. And this is not just, you know, fixing things. This is also building. They're building communities there, right? The uh, father, like, he sounds very free. Like, mm. you know, he goes wherever the winds take him, um, you know, like a rolling stone or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, it's it's not an appealing life to somebody who's part of an institution uh, because there there's no guardrails and there's no um, and there isn't the institution um, that's that's it's lacking. It's true. And you it's know, the it, wife it's doesn't a, want to leave. The, she doesn't leave the earth, right? She yeah. she likes it there. She likes being under the system. Like even even now, like you, you take somebody from. You know, some in, you tell them, oh, well, you know, you could go off and do that. You know, it's, it's not very appealing. Well, there's fear involved in, you know, going someplace new for sure. And there's the comfort of your institution, but institutions can't love you. Institutions can't care about you. They fill, make you fill out forms and then you wait. <laughs> and then if your forms are filled out correctly, you might get service. Great. But from from within, like the ivory walls or ivy covered walls or whatever, like those people just look like drifters. Um, they just look like bums. Yeah, but there is this difference, right? So cafeteria foods. I'm I'm never been a fan of cafeterias, mostly because I don't have any money, right? So um, you go to if you go to school and you eat at the cafeteria, it's because you have money. Um, but there's an efficiency at the cafeteria that you don't get at home, right? When you yeah, uh, I, I go for it. Evan. I can talk about cafeteria, Jesse. Please, please. I, I, I'm almost <laughs> never years, eaten one, except no, my own lunch. Three years, I was living in China, mm-hmm. and I had like cafeteria breakfast, cafeteria lunch, mm-hmm. and I just didn't eat dinner. 
And now I like, it's kind of the same thing at my new job mm-hmm. where I just get like cafeteria lunch and I skip dinner most days. Mm-hmm. But now like when I'm asked for my family, when I'm with them and they're like, where do you want to eat? It's like, doesn't the food just kind of appear? (laughs) (laughs) It's like thinking about like where to eat and what to make. You really like that drops from your mind really quick. Yes. And it's supposed to, right? The 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 school is where you study, not where you cook. Yeah. I hear it's different in France. Don't they, I hear it in elementary schools in France. They like give the kids fancy lunches and teach them how to appreciate food. Is that true, Terrence? No. No? I never noticed that. Okay. I, I worked for 20 years in a, in a high school. Um, I, it was an hour and a half, um, uh, to go by, by train and bus to, uh, uh, an hour and a half or two hours and two hours or longer to come back home. And, uh, I ate in the cafeteria when I, when I had to, mm-hmm. but most of the time I brought a sandwich, mm-hmm. um, like made head. from a uh, really good, um, uh, wholemeal cereal bread, um, with, um, all sorts of good things in it. And it was like, um, um, either I made it or, um, my wife made it for me. And it was like, um, um, uh, presence of the outside mm. inside the institution. I'm not reduced to what the institution is. I've got my sandwich. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a sort of uh, a saving force for me. Um, there may be special programs, um, uh, for, to teach kids how to appreciate, uh, good food, but, um, uh, that must be the exception. And I didn't like the cafeteria food. And, uh, when my colleagues said, Oh, this is really great. Did you see what there is today? It's really great. Mm. Um, I was not, uh, really. Taco Tuesday, involved. I think exists because of, of cafeterias, right? Where people get excited about what their, 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 their rotation is. And it's, it's a crazy thing because, you know, homemade food, you, when you're making your own food, you can make it to your taste. But what's the story? What's that scary story, Paul, about how t- uh, ketchup was classified as a vegetable so that yes. they, they could fuck around with the That's cafeteria? Food? Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah, school lunches program or whatever it is, is, you know, we got to give these kids the healthy food from the healthy food pyramid that we just made up. <laughs> like there's a food pyramid out in nature. And at the top, is a greedy corporation trying to reduce the number of things that they can food feed humans that aren't corn. Right. Like, Holy <laughs> shit. Uh, so yeah, uh, I, I, I never ate at the cafeteria. I was very interested in it because it's like a restaurant, but it's an institutionalized restaurant, but I would go like, I don't have money for that. I got food from home. Uh, I might eat in the cafeteria with other students, but I, I wouldn't, have what they would have and they would have weird hot things you know that i would never have yeah yeah i I mean when i grew up in elementary school there was the hot lunch and there was the cold lunch and there were there were two different cafeterias and if you went to the cold lunch you were the poor and um oh there's two cafeterias in the same school 
Yeah, there were two cafeteria rooms. One one for cold lunch, one for hot lunch. And guess which one I wound up in? Cold because lunch. Because my family ball. didn't have a lot of money. Yes, bologna sandwiches, Jesse. But um, there came a day <laughs> in fifth grade where uh, my mother had made lunch for me, and I had no lunch. And they gave they took pity on me and gave me a hot lunch for free. But they weren't supposed to do that. That was oh. against the rules. See, there's a there's a person in the institution who hasn't been completely institutionalized. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. They 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 broke the rules so I could have lunch. I was grateful. And what's interesting is I in- I, I hate to break the news to you, but they're just trying to get you hooked on the hot lunch. <laughs> um, yeah, but well, if you well, if you well, don't well, have well, the money well, though, that was, that if you don't well, have well, the money. When I got to when I got to uh, junior high and high school, then by that point, yeah, I we had switched to hot lunch. But yes, but yeah, I I, I think they were trying to hook at the. The hot lunch, and I asked my mom about that. The, and, you know, the, the next day was back to bologna sandwiches. Back to the bologna sandwiches. Uh, uh, um, wow. I, I have feelings about bologna sandwiches, Jesse, because I've eaten more of them than I know what to do with in my life. I, I didn't know how to spell bologna for the longest time in my life. It's bologna, uh, like the place. Bologna, bologna, yeah. Um, but uh, it's I prefer to spell it the original way. O n e y at the end. That's a that's that's a different kind uh, of baloney, Jesse. I don't know. I, I, I like I like conflating the two ideas, but I, I think it's really interesting that it, as Evan is rightly pointing out, you know, the kitchen uh, appliances that you know make uh, women's lives easier in the kitchen, uh, or the wash uh, washing machine or you know dishwasher, all that stuff. That's all good. But that institutionalizing and saying, like, we've got a giant pot of chili that's, you know, fits 70 liters. So we can make 70 liters of chili and you taste it, make sure it's good. But when you've got that much happening, you've got more efficiency. But the prices sort of start creeping up from the efficiency so they can make money. And then they start adulterating the materials that go into the pot, right? So it's, it, we kind of, we lose some things and then we gain some things but it's it's even in um in inst- institutions the corruption right you start with the idea like let's have a daycare <laughs> so all the women can go down to the down to the uh, river to wash the clothes and all the babies can be together taken care of by one lady seems right and then eventually that daycare is not somebody in your community that you know it's a hired person right and you're paying money Rather than, you know, taking turns. And then you say, well, we, we can lower the quality of the care here. And the lady can be on her phone playing Wordle or whatever. And then the kids are you know, getting neglected. And more importantly, just not loved, right? Uh, you know, given toys and told not to hit each other and occasionally caressed, but not in a bad way. It's, a, it's all in this little. You know, 46-minute story. Amazing. You know, the uh, example that's going on right now would be ChatGPT. Everyone's like, the kids are like, oh, I can do my homework. And yeah, the and they're like, right. Oh, I can fire everybody. It's free. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, get it for free. But the quality might not be there, but, but it doesn't it's a matter. lot cheaper. But yeah. what, they're, what they're starting to do now is charge subscriptions. And right. the subscriptions That's... are going to slowly go up and up and up and up. And eventually the boss is going to be like, well, this chat GPT is going to be an open source. I'm going to yeah. hire somebody to do this. And there's yeah. going to be nobody to do the work because everyone will have forgotten how to do that. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's exactly right. Because, you know, 
you still hire dishwashers for restaurants, but they just load the dishwasher, right? They don't replace the guy with, you know, these expensive dishwasher machines because there is an efficiency in whatever it is. So there's going to be an open version of ChatBeat GPT, right? Something that's open source and people will use to answer emails from other robots. And eventually we, theoretically, we cannot be involved in our email and, you know, business stuff. And it's probably an efficiency there. But I just don't want to be involved in any of that. And I, I, I know that my, my students are really into chat GPT. They're talking about it. They're like, we need to get this going because <laughs> they got a lot of homework to do when they don't want to do it. And rightly so. Most of it's grunt garbage work. Now there is, but, some- I, I mean, some, some of it's grunt garbage. Some of it is do the repeti- the, the uh, pedagogical value of repetition to learn something. You know, and but it's that, not they'd fun. much rather not, cheat. So this right. is the, uh, well, that's just human. Na- that's human nature, sadly and tragically. Well, like, but they're in, it's because they're being institutionalized. If you if you said to them, uh, "This painting class is really cool. You want to join the painting class?" They wouldn't say yeah, and then send their robot to do it, right? If they're into it, they'll do it. Most students don't want to yeah. be essayists. The, the traffic to GPT plunged when everybody went on to summer break. Um, yeah, I'm like sure. a large part of their traffic is kids doing their homework. Yeah, and, um, and but uh, university kids too. Yeah, and I agree with you though. It, most most of the homework is busy work. It's just garbage. It's punishment. It's you will conform. And as um, the guy in the video on Evan's blog post says, you know, it's if you. If you get low grades, that means you uh, need more attention from the government's forms. You know, it's it's not designed to help you; it's designed to mark you. But ChatGPT, ChatGPT can be really educational. Um, I I I I had two good experiences mm-hmm. with it, but you really have to dia- dialogue with it um, a lot. Yeah. So one of them for the um, uh, the novel Three Body Problem, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. was turned into a, what I thought was a really good Chinese series that respected the book. A little long, a little slow, but it was really good. You're talking about a TV I, movie or something? There's a, 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 a TV series of 30 episodes oh, wow. um, that respects the, fir- uh, um, the story of the first novel of the trilogy, wow. and I watched all of them. Wow. Um, and um, I wanted to get ChatGPT to give an analysis, um, and I tried all sorts of um, uh, uh, suggestions and what they call prompts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, um, I guess I was thinking, what would um, uh, be a, a Deleuzean analysis? Um, uh, what will be a Lacanian analysis? What will be a Badusian analysis? And sort of by pushing and saying, no, that's not what I want, it came up with some. Uh, uh, good ideas. It was uh, I didn't really l- learn a- anything. As, as it gave me some creativity that sparks. That's that's what? what it is. Creativity sparks, right? Yes. And, so, and another yeah. one was um, there's a science fiction story in French called uh, Rossignol um, uh, Nightingale, mm-hmm. um, and it's um, based on uh, uh, lullaby. Um, it was very moving and sort of um, sad um, that every uh, 
uh, everyone knows because it's sung to babies. And I heard it first when I had uh, my first child in France. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find an equivalent um, in English. And I, I sort of, uh, once again, it took maybe 20 minutes or half an hour, um, uh, saying, uh, first it said twinkle, twinkle, little star, mm. and said silly things. But, um, it was trial and error, and on both sides, um, uh, got better and better. And finally, uh, it suggested the ash grove, which I had forgotten, um, which everyone knows, but maybe everyone forgets. No, I don't know. You tell me. Uh, probably you do. Okay. Um, uh, but it's a sad story where he, he goes into the woods, he meets his, um, uh, love there, and, um, uh, uh, he's sad and he, now, and he goes into the ash grove to visit her grave because it only lasted a few days. Hmm. Um, and it's a song that makes you cry, uh, if you let it. And, um, so not something so- to give to children then. <laughs> well, you do <laughs> makes them emotional. We don't want that. Uh, the, 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 uh, I, okay, so as a corrective to how good ChatGPT is, as we were talking here, I decided to go ChatGPT, and this is the prompt that is analyze Philip K. Dick's story, Progeny. Mm-hmm. This is the first paragraph. Progeny is a science fiction story written by Philip K. Dick, first published in 1954. We're all right so far, right? The Sounds story. Right. The story explores themes of identity, memory, and the nature of reality, which are no. common in Dick's works. No. Set in a post-apocalyptic future, Progeny dis- presents a dystopian society where artificial humans known as Andes are created to serve yeah, the needs of the tough. remaining human population. So, honestly, this is like this is is what it's, it's, it's like a search engine. But you that, have to work on it. It's a search what, engine that's what, weak. It's a very what, weak what, search what engine. What work is there? I asked. I asked. Analyze Philip K. Dick's story, progeny. I mean, what no, that's not enough. is there to it? I asked about the specific story, and it no, that's not and enough. The story really, that's the beginning. That's a, you have to what? work for 20, 30 Sometimes minutes. Sometimes you got to correct them. Like when I asked ChatGPT to write some John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, boy love romance story, <laughs> it did that. But then it had like Thomas Jefferson dying earlier. <laughs> than John Adams. And I, I wrote back, I said, you know, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson died on the same day. And Chad GPT is like, oh, yes, you're right. Let me rewrite the whole thing for you. <laughs> no, it, it, no, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, if, 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 if some, if some high schooler was asked to analyze progeny and came and took this mm-hmm. and gave this to their, their teacher, the teacher would, Fail them miserably. No, because not necessarily. You, well, the teacher may have not have read. Probably. That's exactly well, right. No, but it's a forty-five minute story to listen to. I think. I hope the teacher did. No, but, they well, didn't. Yeah. Like you overestimate the teacher. You overestimate, it, Paul. The, the, most I, teachers, I might overestimate. Most teachers but, can't even get the assignment clear to the student. Yeah. So when this teacher gets this big stack of papers, they go through checking. This is what I teach my students. It's like. Make sure you have a period at the end of all your sentences. Capitalize. Make sure your paragraphs have at least three <laughs> sentences. In them. <laughs> right? Like it's like form formatting problems. Now, w- when you were reading that, Paul, what I real and what Evan was saying, I realized what this is perfect for. This is perfect for all the people who want to have somebody write their uh, autobiography or memoir, 
but are unable to sit down and type anything, you know, just answer the question. It, it is not perfect because it's, it's just, it's just a sophisticated text prediction algorithm. No, it's not just that because it, does, it, 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 it has yes, good it, grammar. You don't understand. Well, That's actually quite hard. Getting good grammar but, is quite but, hard. But it, but it, but it makes up, it has, has no That is less important to, for to students. Check itself. That's less What's important. That? But, That's less important for students than almost anything else. The facts don't matter that much. Formatting matters a lot. Oh Filling page. If you spend some time in these institutions, Paul, you will note that the formatting is really important. If you make tech, like I'm telling my students, if you make spelling errors, that's bad, but it's not as bad as this kind of error, right? Any kind, when I'm going, I'm showing them, I'm marking their papers. I say, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. The way I calculate your mark is I take off a mark from the perfect grade for every mistake. Now they say to me stuff that's lies in the thing. I know they're lies. I say, yeah, this is a lie. I give them a check mark. Why? Because I'm showing them that this is actually how they get good grades in school. It's about cheating the system to get good grades and not get failed. That's all it is. So chat GPT, True. chat GPT is a good solution to a bad problem, which is school. The problem is, um, it doesn't solve the problem. It just makes it easier for the prisoners, right? It doesn't abolish the prisons. Now, maybe, maybe it'll lead to that, but I don't think so. I think we'll just find new ways to punish students. It's <laughs> because it was what we know was what we do, right? And a kid, like kids used to do this. They made other kids do their homework. That's essentially chat GPT, right? Yeah. And you have to check what the other kid uh, wrote. And it's bad. It, what chat GPT's revolution is, is it doesn't uh, plagiarize perfectly from someone else, which is mostly what plagiarism is. Somebody literally takes somebody else's paper, puts their name on it. No word changes at all, right? When I teach students to write essays, I say, here's what you do. You read this paragraph, you take all the words in it, and you reorder them, and then you add your own ideas, and you take out things you don't like. And that's writing for well, school. Let's say you're living in an affluent area, and uh, you're a tutor. So the parent hires you as a tutor. You come over uh, you know, to be the English tutor, and the parent will say... Uh, I'm the governess. You know, oh, I'm I'm teaching the kids, and there's a scary man in the attic who wants to murder no, me or no. something. What, what, what she's going to say is, oh, you know, young Tommy, he's very bright. He has a lot of homework to do. He just doesn't like to type. So <laughs> why don't you sit down at the computer? Yep. And he has this essay that the awful teacher is making him write about uh, thermodynamics. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't like to type. He's going to be outside at his uh, activities. Very important to get him into a good college mm -hmm. that he does these extracurricular activities. You're, you're describing some of my job. You're describing some of my job. So yes. the real danger to GPT is that it gives poor people the same advantage that the rich yes. people already have. Yes, exactly. In fact, that, 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 is, the, that is the worst in, in, part of the industry that I'm in is not actually teaching kids anything interesting, but rather just doing their homework for them. It's easy for me to do their homework when I have good instructions. It's bad because it doesn't help them in the way that they should be helped, which is be uplifted by the words that they can learn and how to understand great poetry and all the good stuff that I want to teach them. Right? The worst part is, yeah, is just 
you know, I have a bunch of assignments that are due. You know, right now, or I mean, not right now, but like four or five years ago, there were kids, they were in high school, and they really wanted to write a novel. So the parent hires a uh, ghostwriter from yep. a ghostwriting agency right. to write their novel. They write it to seniors in high school. They they put it in their college submissions, uh, and they submit to like all the top Ivy League schools, all the top schools, and they get in based on this novel that mm-hmm. their parents pay a ghostwriter to write for them. Remember uh, uh, Rebecca Black and her song Friday, <laughs> right? She became a pop sensation. How much of that was her? How much that was that was her parents paying for the music video? Um, I guess all of it was her, except for the terrible idea of the actual plot of the song, which is I like sitting in the front seat sometimes. <laughs> Which which should I choose, the front seat or the back seat? Like, it is a terrible, terrible song, and it's why it's so amazing, is it's super well-produced, and it's catchy, and it has no content at all, right? It's just ridiculous. And it, it comes from a rich parent being able to produce <laughs> something to make their kid happy and make them feel like a superstar. Like, what, what GPT really does is it gives, like, the poor kids the same advantage that the rich kids have yes. had forever. Yes. Um, and that's why nobody reads. Yes. 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 Um, so, um, yeah, amazing. I think, I, I think we need to come to a conclusion because I need to go. Thank you, Paul. Uh-huh. Are we at a conclusion right. then? We're, we're, you, we're, we're pretty yeah, conclusive. So. We may because, have some... Because remember, I'm doing your backup recordings. So yes, I, I appreciate sure. that. Um, there are, next week is Pirates of Venus. I've already sent that to uh, not I you, won't, Paul. I won't be there. I where won't where be. are you going to be? Graham Array. Graham Murray. That's the book from. Up, up the, up, I'm going up the North Shore of Minnesota oh, okay. to learn astrophotography. Okay. I got to miss uh, Pirates of Venus too. Unfortunately, oh, I was story. really looking forward to it, but I'm going to be out. Yeah, I've crossed out you off for that for some reason. Where are you going to be? Uh, I'm going to be overseas. I was going to go in August, but uh, I overseas go, is not um, very clear. So it's NSA work, is what I'm hearing. It's top secret. I knew it. Well, maybe one day but you I'm can not declassify. Have very good, uh, internet access. Okay. So. Well, I guess I can do it. You're gonna step Why am up. Why I in here? Uh, for uh, Pirates of Venus. Did I say I did? This? You must have, because I, I'm oh. not, I'm not somebody who just throws people on there without their. Uh, Barnum's freehold. I can't do. I don't think though. Wrong day. You well, wait? my dad leaves like. Okay. The next day, my okay. dad's in Taiwan. What date is Pirates of Venus? That's uh, seven sixteen next week, next Sunday, same time. No, I'm, I'm not going to be here. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm pretty relaxed for the next ten days. I'm so. going to be gone from the twelfth uh, to the twenty third. Twelve. Uh, okay. Twenty. Yeah. You you'll miss. Um, no, you're you're okay for Byzantium. Why aren't you? What's Byzantium? I don't know that. Uh, Sailing to Byzantium, Byzantium by Robert Silverberg. You can't cancel yourself off of that one. Oh, I could, I could do that. Sure. Okay, what I'll, is it? Uh, it's 7.30, July 30th. Oh, right. yeah, that's fine. I'm going I'm from the... I'm uh, deleting you. I'm gone from the, uh, 11, from the 12th to the 23rd. So if it's between them, I, then I can't do it. But if it's before or after... Bye, Paul. Well, I mean, this is before, Bye, but if it's Bye, after... Paul. Bye, Paul. Yeah, well, I've added you back in. Um, and Farnham's freehold explanation was overseas, uh, twelve to 
when, when is Farnham's freehold? 0806. So August 6th. Oh, I can do that. Sure. Why not? All right. Taking it oh, back. You know on. why? Because I thought I was going to go in August, ah. but I'm going to go in July. Okay. Solved. All right. Okay. So um, Farnham. Yep. That's wait, the what's, next few what's weeks. the schedule going forward? Well, I'm going to send you the link. Then you right. can see it. Yeah. Because um, uh, everything is so like up in there and crazy. Yeah. No worries. There are. Oops. There it is. It's uh, also on the website. If you go to the website at the top right hand corner, there's uh, not on your phone, but on a regular internet, there's a bunch of tabs under feeds and resources, and one of them says podcast schedule. Okay, let me let me open up my computer right now. And, sure. Uh, so uh, I did my audiobook, Jesse. Yeah. Um. The uh, the one with the music under it, unfortunately. Yeah, well, that's the format of the show. Yeah, I can't believe um, people do that. It's crazy. Well, like the whole show's like that. Yeah, so, it's, I mean, it's it's a YouTube thing. Uh, you used to people used to do that in podcasts as well. They still, you know, people don't know, and you know, a lot of people. I'm saying people don't read. A lot of people do YouTube, and then they discover that audiobooks exist because of YouTube, and they get excited about books, and then they see that those things exist, like the audiobook with music and sound effects underneath. Um, and I'm excited for them, but boy, are they going to be excited when they find out that just regular audiobooks exist. It's like when you're a kid, you know, you, you know, any sign of a ghost is excitement in a book, even if it's a badly written book. So I don't feel, you know, it's, it's, well, it, I mean, eventually it's just, it's they'll popular, upgrade. Like, yeah. But like YouTube has, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's because they're, it's YouTube, not books. Go to library compared to the number of people on YouTube, right? So, oh, podcast schedule here. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Starts around so, line 306, so you have to scroll down a bit. So we're at uh, I-20. I, so um, uh, what, what's... Line 306 is where you should look. That's where line, we... Oh, I, I see. Okay. I'm highlighting okay. progeny um, right now, and I'm going to put a green line. Progeny. So, Pirates of Venus, I'm away for. Arthur C. Clarke, I'm away for. Robert Silverberg, I'm here for. Let's yep. do Robert Silverberg. I've added you to it. Let's do Farnham's Freehold. Okay. Oh, awesome. Okay. And there's some new stuff on there, by the way. At the end, um, past the Colorado Kid, which Evan wants to do and Terrence wants to do. Mm-hmm. Uh Alex from Pulp Covers, um, who has been somewhat censored recently on Twitter for uh, having nudie pictures that are not nudie, crazy. And then the the the, uh, the uh, he did an appeal, and it says after careful re- review, we find that there's no reason to change your status. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> so careful. <laughs> Like, if you look at the picture, like, it was just chat GPT, like, looking at a picture, it looks like a lady might not have any pants on. She's wearing pants. And it's not even, like, a particularly sexy picture. She's just surrounded by photos. I guess they think it's, like, child porn or something. I wonder why I get uh, away with what I do sometimes. Uh, Because you're not big and nobody complained, I think. A lot of jealous uh, losers on Twitter. I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not like big. But, no, no. But, but Alex has like hundreds of thousands of yeah. followers, right? It's a huge account. So any kind of 
you know, account. Like when he retweets something of mine, I get like, I did one. <laughs> Evan, did you see this one? You're not on Twitter much. Mm. It's so funny. He tweeted um, a, a magazine, a book cover, a paperback cover called um, White Trash. <laughs> and it's a lady walking down the street and everybody's looking at her. And uh, one of her, I think her elbow was blocking part of a sign that said shoe repair. And so I, I wrote, ho repair. <laughs> and it got, Ooh. he retweeted that. And I'm like, I'm, st- I'm still getting like <laughs> constant like notifications that, because <laughs> it's, it's a little tiny joke, but because he retweeted it, it gets huge because he's got hun- maybe a hundred thousand followers or whatever it is. Yeah. And it had nothing to do with how good the joke was. It's just exposure. And it was a good joke, but it wasn't a, <laughs> my best joke, but it's very funny. <laughs> it was just words, not even like a picture, you know, it's just me retweeting, whatever. Funny stuff. But, um, you, you'd want it, like, if you wanted, I guess I could ask if I can use, like, because I, I recorded it myself, you know, yeah. so I could ask if I could send you the, the, yeah, I, mask uh, the pure one. But, um, if we're going to do a show on it, which is not, not super likely, but I, I'd be happy to, you know, hear it. Um, when, uh, we do that, you can't be on because I need to be able to yell at, uh, you and not have you get defensive. (laughs) I I, I can't fight you as a man in person, but I, I can slander you behind your back in public. How about that? I mean, yeah, that seems reasonable. uh, I don't really get defensive. It's, you know, it's a story. I like, uh, here's what I like about you. You've read a whole bunch of books I haven't read. Isn't that amazing? Okay. Somebody somebody read a whole bunch of books I haven't read and, and has interesting things to say about it. That's like really interesting. That's very unusual. What, what do you mean? Uh, like you, you mentioned uh, read a all book. the books? No, I haven't, but I never heard of that book you mentioned. Uh, uh, well, for example, Terrence mentioned this this uh, Ash Grove. I've never heard of that. Pretty, I was looking Peter Kamenzeit is what I mentioned. Yeah, yeah. So the one about the guy from Switzerland who had nice handwriting. Right. Well, that sounds yeah. like a really interesting book. I've never heard of it. I, I, so Herman Hess, he... I know Herman you know Hess. I just never heard, yeah. so it's never his read novel. any of his stuff. It's, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think you'd actually like it. No, but I, I want to hear about it, even if I won't like it. It's complete, like, the way he describes it is like he's writing an autobiography of the character's soul. Yeah, yeah it um, sounds like it. But, you know, the way it is, is it's very much inside the character's head. Um, you know, he's working in a German genre, uh, which is like a fake autobiography that starts the character's young age and mm-hmm. goes, uh, you know, through his, um, but it, it is his adulthood and his accomplishments and whatever. And it, it, it's a very interesting portrait of like Bohemian Europe in like the 1890s, mm-hmm. um, which is an era that, that I've always really liked. Um, yeah, that's weird. Know, like I like whole, that you wrote oh, like this weird era. <laughs> Almost yeah. nobody does that. I mean, well, no, that's a very popular era. <laughs> You're walking down the street um, and talking to farmers uh, who are talking about, you know, what kind of chickens they, they're brooding. <laughs> There's a, yeah, that's very common. Dude. <laughs> Dude yeah, it's not. It may be common for some people, but not around these parts. <laughs> 
I mean, it, it's a good book for me because Thank you. like everybody in there is like really fake and really phony and putting on airs about how intelligent they are and yeah. how accomplished they are. And I can see kind of mirrors in different artistic circles I've been a part of during my yeah, life yeah. or different literary circles. So just the fact that, I mean, that I can read an old book and that it's still That's relevant amazing. to my own experiences. Most people are told not to read anything past 10 years ago. That's what most writers today are being told. Well, you don't they, need to read it. You don't. You literally do not need to need, need to read Heinlein. Scalzi has replaced him. That's literally what they're saying. And then well, I, I think, they believe well, that, or say they do, anyways. What they're saying is that they want to keep current, and that in order to do that, they need to keep up to date with what's being published now, and that you don't have time to read both. And yeah, there's some wrong. truth to that. I, I don't have time to read the new stuff. Yeah, uh, no kidding. Especially when most of it's crap. Most of everything in the past was crap, too. I want to hear about the good stuff from the past and today, but it's harder to determine today. Well, it hasn't. You know, withstood the uh, test of time. Yes, indeed. Um, you know, a hundred years years from now, when everybody's reading uh, J. Manfred Weichsel. <laughs> and uh, debating how to pronounce his name. When they're teaching. You know, there's like the town I live in, uh, there was like a rap group in the 1970s that was one of the first hit rap groups. Like the town I live in was like a birthplace of rap. Mm -hmm. And now today there's a sign like at one of those historical signs mm -hmm. about that the rap group recorded their songs here. This is where the studio that they recorded them once stood. And it has like the name of one of their hit songs. Mm -hmm. So I look up the hit song and I listen to it. It's like a fun, catchy song. It was recorded before I was born, but mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a fun, catchy song. So every once in a while I'm walking around the town and I hear somebody listening to the song and I know that it's the exact same thing as me. Like I hadn't heard of the group until I saw the sign. Mm -hmm. They too. They saw the sign. They said, hmm, I live here. This is interesting. I should listen to the song. So they put it on their phone. They listened to it. And, and, you know, that's it. So I wonder, like, you know, 50 years from now, is there going to be a sign in front of the building where the building <laughs> that I live in once stood saying that I wrote my stories? Because hey, this see. town has not accomplished anything. Yeah. Like, I am my town's first cultural achievement in 50 <laughs> years. And I think that that's absolutely amazing. And I wonder... And future generations are going to appreciate that. Well, there, you were saying half the businesses were were um, closed, right? I, I saw. I, I don't watch television, but I was on the ferry crossing over to the island here, and yeah. uh, they had television on CTV News. It's basically it's Canada. on C, CNN, right? CNN yeah. for Canada, um, and they had a bunch of things. And I uh, noted one of one of them. By the way, this is this is the this is the stuff I I want to tell Americans. All the time, and I put it on Twitter because it's so interesting. You know, the shitty Justin Trudeau government, really, really bad, horrible in many, many ways. Um, they uh, decided to send um, an extra b bunch of money to Canadians who are uh, of a certain status, basically poors, um, because they want to get reelected, right? So ba it's not it's not um, full blown. Uh, what's Evans' uh, social credit, right? It's not that exactly. It's just you know, uh, it's a, basically it's a tax rebate um, that they did as a one time thing, 
that was announced. They did a bunch of other things. But one of the other things I noticed that maybe I didn't note on the tweet thread was um, the it, it was 19.8 or something percent, um, uh, and that was probably for Toronto, a commercial space empty. Wow. Right? So 20% is a lot for a big city like Toronto. Um, but 50% is much more common in a small I mean, town. That's what it looks like to me. It's probably more like 30%. I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 my, my area of town, I'm not in my town right now, is pretty full. And I would say yeah. it's about 20%. Bye, Terrence. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Uh, Thanks no, a lot. Yeah, we're we sort no of... Being, is we're, the recording over? One of the recordings is over. Oh, because I don't want to talk if I'm not being recorded. This is all for the sake of posterity. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, me too. I, I, I'm I'm waiting for ChatGPT to write the story of my life and then for nobody to read it except for other ChatGPTs so that they can answer somebody's homework. Wow. <laughs> Another ChatGPT teacher's marking it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what were you going to say yeah. about your town's no. percentage of... Oh, yeah, it's, it's more like 30%, but it, it's like like this place that I live in, like I came from L.A., and now I'm living in this just dead town, mm-hmm. and it's it's just awful. Like I look out the window, and like I see like, you know, the people who hang out at the bus stop and the people who hang out in the parking lot of the convenience store, and like, you know, the, the, those are like the people. Like uh, when the Canadian it's Kipple. It's Kipple from um, – uh, What's that novel? Um, I don't know. Sentinel, yeah, you do. It's like uh, Terrence was telling me I know Ashgrove. I don't think I do, but um, I will investigate that after. Um, Blade Runner's based on it. Do Andrews Dream Electric Sheep? Sure. Yes. Yeah, where everybody, all the non-losers have left for the off-world colonies. We're told, yeah. right? Maybe they're maybe they're actually being executed off-world. But actually, you know, now that I think about it. Uh, Evan, you still here? I don't know if he's here. Anyways. Um, yeah, I'm here. Okay. Uh, now that I think about it. I gotta it, go, though. Okay. But the world of, thought? well, the world of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, the actual book, is mm-hmm. the same world as in this story, Progeny. Right? Yes. Because Maybe. it's replaced by, everybody's replaced by robots. The squirrels are dying. Think about it. And yeah, and everybody's gone off. Yeah. Everybody's gone off, and there's some horrible institutional, you know, pollution going all over. They're going to take the mountains outside of Los Angeles and use them to fill the o- ocean, right? Make yeah, more land. it's the Maybe. same world. Uh, it's yeah, it's you, thesis you, proven. You, you you're Hashtag. so resistant to series, Jesse. No, 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 to, no like, I'm not saying it's a series. series. I'm saying it's the same. Whenever world. you can. That's not the, you, 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 you're always looking for series. That's not, I'm not saying it's a series. Like I'm saying it's the same setting. That's not well, the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're it's looking the same series, I think. Uh, obviously, it's not literally true, right? But uh, he, he's working the same mind. He's working the same ideas. Um, even, even, uh, in the case of what's the Silmarillion to, um, Philip K. Dick's best book, Nick and the Glimmung. Right, Nick and the Glimmung is not the same planet, even though it's Plowman's planet, because they're so different, right? But he's using it the same way. He's using it as a stepping stone to get to that other idea. They're uh, they're all independent. 
they all work independently, but it's the same. It, it's interesting to think about it that way. Is there a robot? No, there's no robot draw. Yeah, there's no robots in Blade Runner. Right? They're all androids. Whatever. Sorry. Yeah. See Anyways, ya. See I ya, Evan. Go. Bye. Right. I'll see you around. Jonathan, Bye-bye. what were you going to say? Oh, no, I got I got to head off soon, too, okay. but it was good talking to everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. We so have uh, more fun on uh, the next week's thing. Did I send it to you already? I don't know. I, I have to. I, I don't. It doesn't look like it. Send it to my Twitter. Yeah, I did. I thought maybe I didn't because you. Well, no, I'm, I'm not. Do, I'm not on next week. I'm not on Pirates. Oh, I thought you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I got to I got to st- But I'm on the week after the thirtieth. What's, what's the week after? The week after is the silver sailing one? sailing to Byzantium. So yeah, yeah, that's a couple weeks. That's three weeks from now. That's the thirtieth. But let me look at this thing again. Saturday, next Saturday is Pirates of Venus. Next one. I really wish I could do Pirates. That sucks. Oh, but no, I mean, I've read it before. So we got Sailing and then Byzantium. I mean, mean, Sailing to Byzantium, that's good. And then we got Farnham's Freehold, that I'm in that. Mm -hmm. All right. And then. so what, what do we got? We got Pirates of Venus, 1670. So what's the 23rd? There's nothing on the 23rd. It's the 23rd. Let's see here. You you got no show on the 23rd. No, I have the 22nd there, Saturday. Oh. Uh, we moved it for some reason. I can't remember why. Oh, uh, maybe for Scott. Yeah. Uh, Farnham's Freehold, that is a really good one. Um, yeah, should be so fun. What Sheba yeah, by Jack Higgins? Oh, so that's the one that was added. Um, he was tweeting about it. I was going to tell this in the. I've never heard of this. Yeah, no. I've heard of it either, but I guess it's in response to um, people not liking Dial of Destiny. Um, he's mentioned it a few times. Um, reading the description from Penguin Random House, it says. Uh, when archaeologist Gavin Kane is hired to find a woman's missing husband, he follows the man's trail to the ruthless desert of South Arabia. And makes two shocking discoveries. One is the legendary Temple of Sheba, an ancient world as fantastic as King Solomon's mines. The other is a band of Nazi soldiers who plan to turn the sacred landmark into Hitler's tri- secret song. Put of me Trump. down. Put See? me down. It Put me down. Totally sold you, right? Put me down. All right, that, I added you. Yeah, sounds great. You know that whole thing about Indiana Jones uh, tanking? That's kind of bullshit, actually. I uh, heard some people like it. Other people don't. I mean, I, mean, I saw I mean, the I've, I've never red letter it. media. I mean, I mean, the poor box office. I don't the, know. I don't trust like, any of that. Like, a lot of people went to see the movie. The, the reason it tanked is because they spent so much money making the movie that it can't make its money back. Well, so, not in what period of time, though? In the period of the first two weeks? Yeah, okay, maybe not. It's one of the most expensive movies ever made. That's $298 million. I was the thinking about million. why we don't need that movie. Right? Okay. The problem but, is we didn't actually need the first one either. It was just we wanted it. We don't need it. <laughs> uh, we didn't need yeah. the third one we didn't need the second one we wanted them now we don't want them so much holy shit put me down for warriors i love that movie warriors that's on the uh no dated yet right do you have uh what version of the movie do you have because i've only I have seen never it. seen it i've never seen it but there, there's two versions the only one i've seen is the revised version 
Um, I'd love it if you could find the original because that's like I, I I've never seen the, the original. The the revised was yeah, uh, it was be not too, a problem. It was a little too controversial, and so they they made it more like uh, comic booky. Um, to make You're it talking about the movie. I've not seen any yeah. movies. I've not read the book. So this was somebody somebody saw it. I guess was available as an audiobook and oh. added to the list. But I've never seen that. Um, I hear it's good. I want to watch it. Now I have an excuse. It's a really good movie. Yeah, even, even if you see the revised version, you can still see that it's like an amazing movie. That's good. But uh, what they did was they put all these comic book inserts in it to make it more like a comic book movie. So okay. that it's less like real and gritty. And mm. less, um, but um, I'd love to see the original 70s. Um, should be able to find it. It's, and Shippa Ishtar, I'd like to do it too. Yeah, I'd like to do that too. What we're waiting on that for is um, an audiobook that's single narration on LibriVox. There's multiple narrators, which is not good. Um, so, where is, what, what's this? Okay, so we, I'm on Silverberg. I'm on Heinlein. Oh, yes, I see it. Um, uh, I've, I've got a lot of work to do. I've got to uh, finish editing this anthology before I uh, head off on uh, Wednesday. So I'm like uh, for secret I'm operations. I'm crazy uh, editing that uh, that that anthology, and I actually got to go. You can't that call it an anthology it. if it's only you. That's but called... it's not only me. Okay, it's then that's a lot. A bunch of authors. That's it's my first anthology. That's fine. I've been I've been putting this on my Substack. It's my first anthology. All right. So, uh, let me tell you, when you're ready to uh, publish some uh, cool public domain stuff, I'll give you the list of things to to do because I got so many good anthology ideas. Uh, not on this computer, but like I got one called Moon Tomb. It's just about stories, stories of the moon and death, public domain ones, big long well, list. This, I mean, this is uh, it's got a Misha Burnett story in it, you know. No, these are these are all public domain, so you can do it for free. <laughs> you don't have to pay anybody. Just get some great cover art and uh, put an introduction to each story. And, uh, Alrighty, so uh, I think I'm gonna go uh, head off. Now. Thank you, sir. All right, good talking as always. All right, I haven't read any Misha Burnett either. I, I know I see his name all over uh, the Cisroba group or whatever. He's 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 a good one. He needs to um, self. He needs to promote better. Um, well, he's but, getting pretty good promotion in that group because I've heard of him, which I have not heard of most. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you've heard of me too. Yeah, but oh, the reason I've heard of you is because you make some salty, interesting points on Twitter, and you have great cover art for your <laughs> your um your books, right? Yeah, I wish uh, I wish people would uh, talk about me. Um, <laughs> more say, he's writing. problematic. <laughs> What's that? He's problematic. That's what they're going to say. That, that, that I'm problematic. Yeah, they're yeah. Gonna say I'm why would they say I'm problematic? Uh, because they're jealous? I don't know. They say it a lot. People say it. No, nobody says I'm problematic. Yeah, that's because you're not famous enough. When you get famous enough, people become jealous, and then they... they say, mm, this is, I mean, yeah, this is true. People will attack you once you reach a certain level dude, of fame. And then they, said, they said uh, Poe was a third-rate writer. 
as a troll at the end of the of a show. Why did they say that? Because it's true. I <laughs> 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 just throw that in at the end. Shit all over Lovecraft for an hour and a half, and then <laughs> lob a grenade and leave. Close the door behind you. Come on, they did that because yeah. it's like, oh yeah, by the way. <laughs> possibly the greatest fiction writer of all time who didn't write that much uh, comparatively is, uh, you know, he's a pretty fucking good poet too. I mean, I was was trying to like, who is a better poet from the United States than Poe? Hmm. (laughs) Like I really like his stuff and I like a lot of other people's stuff, but who's a better poet than Poe? Hmm. Um, (laughs) Start making your list now, right? You've been working on it for a while. And people will make their arguments. And then I'll say, okay, Annabelle Lee is popular and it's good. <laughs> how, how about any of the other poems on your list, bud? Let's see. What about uh, American poems? What about the American ethic poem, Hiawatha? I may have heard it or read it. You probably read... Um like you probably seem like the Bugs Bunny parodies. Mm, uh, that there. sounds right. Because uh, there's, let's see, the song of Hiawatha by by Longfellow. Uh, listen to this. Um, I'm looking at by it. the yeah, by the it. shore of Gitchy by the shore of Gitchy Gummy by the shining Big Sea Water at the doorway of his wigwam in the pleasant summer morning. Hiawatha stood and waited. All the air was full of freshness. All the earth was bright and joyous. And before him, through the sunshine, westward towards the neighbor... I can't even read it. Neighboring uh, forest, past in the golden swarms of Amo, past the bees... So this is uh, obviously not as good as anything Poe ever wrote. Um, That's fine. It's it's a it's got baby. a very uh, it's got a very unique meter to it that's yeah. been uh, parodied a lot. I think even Lewis Carroll parody I think, is has a important. Poem. Yeah, to I think uh, Lewis Carroll has a poem to the meter of Hiawatha. Um, Carroll, I think so. Um, um, to... Terence pointed out that uh, Mark Twain did a parody of of uh, the Raven, and it's hilarious. I was I was reading it the other day. I'm like, this is awesome. I gotta find the original publication and print it up and read it. So good. So, um, I don't I don't think I've read any Longfellow, but yeah, I just uh, there's a Bugs Bunny parody of that poem. Um, It's a sign of good quality. Yeah, uh, that uh, you know has like Bugs Bunny in the canoe. Scott, yeah. yeah, they like lifting from public domain, as rightly they should. All right, so uh, I got to head off, though. Yeah, Good no talking worries. And uh, look forward to Farnham's Freehold. That is going to be a good <laughs> Yeah, it's that, that is, Have you read that book before? Oh, of course, yes. Yeah, a long time oh, ago. God, is it controversial. Holy moly. Well, it's the most uh, probably controversial one of the ones that people have actually read. Uh, I, I've read everything by Heinlein except for like a few things at the very beginning, the very end. Yeah. Same here. Actually. Uh, And, and uh, I found that book annoying and frustrating and also really interesting. 
and that's Heinlein, right? And so yeah. it's, it's just Heinlein in extremis, uh, because he's doing his Heinlein thing. And so, yeah, it'll be fun. But, uh, Paul may die from, uh, anything. <laughs> <laughs> recording of that one. We'll see. Well, it's we'll just see. so good. Like, look, the, the mother character in that. And, like, like, cause, like, I've got, like, an alcoholic mother and a lawyer father. And, like, mm. he's got an alcoholic mother and a lawyer father. Oh, really? I didn't, I don't remember that detail. You don't remember that the mother's an alcoholic? I remember she was a problem. I don't remember what. what she's an alcoholic. Like, it starts off with, like, they're, like, they're, bridge party and yeah, she's yeah. like oh just give me another another martini or whatever drinking um you know just give me another one blah, 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 blah. and then she's like all well, hysterical throughout the book it's awesome yeah um not gonna be filmed back. soon <laughs> it, <laughs> not the, waiting for an adaptation soon people are not waiting for it they're not asking for it but i would love to see it the women are like skinny dipping and like the young black kid is like afraid to look at them. Mm. And like, it's like, like this. Yeah, you're uh, talking about the things we're not supposed to talk about. Mr. Heinlein, stop doing that. <laughs> it's uh, Oh my God. It's so controversial. Yeah. It's oh, good stuff. Yeah. Um, all right. So it was good talking. Yeah. All right. Have a good one. See you on Twitter. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF Audio. going to be on participants is that the button yeah man e-v-a-n there he is and then i okay um and then i believe terrence and jonathan let's see if i get jonathan yeah it's going to be a big show for a small book huh Mm -hmm. all right we got Paul. Hello. Good morning. Gentlemen. Uh, and then who else? Oh, Evan's muted. That's what it is. Um, and then Whoa. Terrence. There he is. I think this is the I think this is the right gang. I'm gonna check the list. The right, the right gang, oh boy. Yep. The uh, some of us have been to Vietnam gang some of us uh, have not <laughs> um uh jesse paul terrence mike evan and jonathan i was gonna say yes. wait i don't have mike but i've been talking to mike for five minutes so Hello. yeah you've got mike you've got mike yeah and we got uh have our terrence have our hello good morning afternoon good, good afternoon, afternoon. We'll get Evan to unmute at some point, and then uh, we'll consider doing a show. Um, while uh, I have Evan and uh, Paul, there is an upcoming yeah. show that um, we need to move the time for. Um, you're both signed up for it. It's uh, No Man's Land. 
Although Evan has a question mark, so maybe not. Connor is back in Australia from visiting uh, Europe, but he does not have his apartment back, so he's sharing a house and doesn't have oh. certain hours where he can do oh. it. So um, we need to be flexible, but that's way ahead. That's middle of uh, August. And I can't make those two July ones. Oh, okay. That's July I, in there. I'm gonna. I already let you know. I'm gonna um, put the strike through on these. What are those? The Silverberg uh, one. B- Byzantium one? sailing to Byzantium, and um, Farnham's freehold. Ah, I'm gonna miss Farnham's. Reschedule that. Push it back. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Mike. The only the only time we will reschedule is if everybody it's convenient for everybody and or it's the narrator who uh suggest like connor recorded um no man's land right he so, wanted yeah, to do so he that should one. Be on the show <laughs> he needs to be on the show because it was his idea <laughs> um he's he's the only uh, he was the first guy to you know suggest it so um, yeah, I just I thought I was going to be traveling in August. Well, the good news is you can still you can still read the book, and uh, I've read the book already. I've yeah, read it. but at the same time, and then uh, complain about it yeah. uh, in a tweet or something, and I I can pass those into the podcast at some point. It's not as fun. It's not as fun for sure. But yeah, it's hard. To, it's hard to coordinate a lot. The, it's for a very unpopular book that a lot of people signed up for. <laughs> Evan, Mysa, Paul, Trish, and Jonathan. Um, and there, yeah, the problem with rescheduling is so we're going to reschedule probably on the same day, or just at a different time for No Man's Land. It's possible it'll move to a Saturday, um, but that's just because Connor's. Which is what we've done. We've yeah. done sometimes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, did we get Evan yet? Is he unmuted? I'm here. Okay, good. All right. Um, wow. One, two, three, four, five, six people, not including me. Is that right? No, I'm on here. I'm, oh, okay. Six people, including me. That's a lot. When was the that, last that time we is, had that, that many? Is, that, yeah, that, this, this, this is unexpectedly popular. And I made notes, too. That's very unusual. The, the, the universe is going to come to a screeching halt now. Oh, boy. Yeah. All That's right. very robotic of you. <laughs> yeah. They're not very <laughs> good notes, though. <laughs> so there is um, sickmyduck.nayrod.ru does not have an e-text copy, but there is my PDF copy. Um, I wanted to actually look at another version as well because I think Evan may have read, a, I know he read a later edition in paper book. Um, and it was different? Well, he's saying things are different. I'm like, well, that's not in this version I'm reading. So I don't know if that's, you know, he made notes and just conflated some stuff or what. But um, do you do you happen to have your copy, Evan? I'm looking to see if he's muted. Nope, he's, 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 he's looking around the shelves. Do you have your copy of uh, the story? Progeny? Yeah. In the paper book? What's it called? I don't have my Philip Dick books in storage. Okay. Well, I'm going to put this in the chat. This is... uh, It's probably like volume two or three of books and stories. Yeah. Uh, It's in one of them. That's what you mentioned in your podcast from 2015. 
But um, there's some differences either in your you did some interpolation or whatever that's called. Uh, yeah, possible. Um, or that they, they, they've revised it because it was um, reprinted almost immediately in a book called uh, Glass Full of Darkness or something, a Philip K. Dick um, collection uh, that came out right after. You know, a lot of times uh, they do the editors of the magazines will change the stories, and then That's when true. the writers republish them, I may have just made a mistake. I think I think a mistake lot of those stories. Yeah, I think a mistake is the most likely thing, but it would be interesting to note because um, I agree, Jonathan. They editors often did fuck around with things, but usually not for the worse. Uh, usually just deleting things rather than adding in things. And there are some who, you know, re- rewrote whole chapters and, you know. You know I, uh, Galaxy, Horace Gould. Yeah. Um, he was notorious for meddling with the stories and changing them. And I read a collection of Galaxy and I looked up some of the stories to find them online. Mm. And Horace Gould, like, he would just rewrite the ending. Like, yeah, yeah, the happens. ending is too cheery. I'm going to give it a downbeat ending. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know. So I, I, I kind of, and maybe he was a little more notorious than that, than the others, but I think Campbell used to do that. And a lot of editors would rewrite the stories. And I, don't think, the authors, I think Campbell made the author do it, right? He would say, this is uh, not, I, I need you to do this. And, and most of the working <laughs> writers, you know, not Lovecraft. Um, <laughs> the guys who wanted to get paid would just do whatever he said and then be mad at them. Um, and I know that happened to Philip K. Dick too, but, um, I don't, I mean, I don't know if it did. I'm just saying, yeah, like, it's possible that there are different versions of the story. James mm-hmm. L. Quinn was the editor of if I don't know much about him at that time, at the time, mm-hmm. but, um, I think we can start pretty soon. Paul needs to turn off his civ game though. <laughs> oh, I have, I have, I have, I have Steam on. The game's actually running. Civ is up. The Steam I, was on. I saw a Civ come online. Uh, I don't know, ten minutes ago or something. Yeah, yes, I. I Paul's I, doing I his just, turns. I just did a peep. Yeah, this reminds turn. me not to add you on Steam. <laughs> you'll you'll not see to Paul. Add me on you'll Steam? see Paul wow. playing Age of Wonders. I'm in Victoria Three. You're you're playing what? I'm in Victoria. Is that a game? Yes, yes, that's a paradox uh, game set around the uh, age of colonialism, late 19th century. You guys, you guys are obsessed with those games. We like them. They're allowed. They're allowed. You like PUBG, and you sometimes drag me into that, although it's a social thing. It's, it's, it's really an industrialization simulator at this point. Yeah, they, they, they have. You, yes, it's true. With, with the way they've done the patches, they've kind of. Which I love. That direction. Yeah, I kind of figured, yeah. I didn't know you yeah. played it, but yes, I could see this be completely your jam. We'll probably we talk about Loki Dick, not. Is that a single player game? Strategy or games. Multiplayer, um, single player, multiplayer. Can play multi, I think. I've never done it. Yeah, so you guys could play. You each just other. T- pick a country in 1836, and you just industrialize basically and <laughs> deal with the liberals. Make Put sure down your robots. laws make. Yeah. Um, you you laugh, Jesse, but it's true. <laughs> no, I'm seeing, I'm seeing, but see that I think you guys should play each other because then you can like put your ideologies against each other. <laughs> Say my strategy for dumb world domination will defeat yours. 
And uh, actually, this this run of the U.S. was kind of disappointing because the planters never rebelled. I didn't get to like slaughter them. Damn it! <clears throat> In a civil war, they just gave up slavery like a bunch of chumps. What a, what a bunch of chumps! I, I bet you had your propaganda level turned very high. <laughs> I don't know how he did it. There's so many variables. It's hard to know why certain things end up how they are. I, it Some reminds, decision I made. I don't play any of these games, but it reminds me that Mike, there's a um, a game. Uh, oh, there's is that an ebook EPUB version? Yes, I okay. found. Um, I think this. Well, I don't know if, if there's any difference. I I read your I read on your PDF. Yeah, but it's I'm downloading it's in this as well. Um, uh, there was a game, uh, uh, Hearts of Iron. Is that the one? World War Two game? That's Paradox. That's the, yeah, yeah. That's okay. Paradox. Okay, yeah. So one of my students was showing me that game, and um, and I was like, Mike, th- this game is insane. So the it's basically it's a World War Two simulator, um, but uh, it's you know sort of global strategy rather than you know. Uh, shell holes and foxholes and artillery. You build artillery, but more more importantly, you manage the war off uh, from a sort of very high perspective. <laughs> and uh, and I said, my my students explaining the game to me is like you can you can play Hitler or you can be Stalin, <laughs> decide to attack China instead of uh, I don't know whatever. And I said, I want to be Costa Rica. <laughs> And he says, why? <laughs> I said, because if it's a real World War II simulator, I want to know what's going on in Costa Rica during World War II. And he says, okay. <laughs> and yeah, I, you can play Costa Rica. I played Costa yeah. Rica during World War II. And it, it, it's, Mike, it's down to the details. And I guess Terrence too. It's down to the details. Like they have the names of actual colonels who were active <laughs> in Costa yeah. Rica during that. And like, it has a list of their equipment, which is like seven trucks and an airplane or whatever. And I'm like, holy shit, this game is insane. Uh, Paradox puts a lot of detail in their games. Um, incredible. A lot of detail. Incredible. That they're really good at it. Yeah. A huge time sink, but ama- uh, amazing as a, um, like just a tool of, um, looking at, looking at, uh, what could have happened, right? And like, I mean, let's look I'm, at these I'm, tank numbers. You know, or, I mean, I mean, just let's like they, like say Crusader Kings three. I mean, they have every noble in U- Europe and North right. Africa, and the Middle East of the period. Pretty, you could impressive. play. You could play any of them. Pretty I mean, some of, some of them are not great to play because you're going to get absorbed or killed, probably. But I actually cannot open this file because I, I'm on a different computer than I normally would oh, you podcast oh, on. Oh, oh, you, oh, you don't have Calibre on this. Computer. Not on this oh. one, no. But it doesn't matter because we're not going to spend too much time arguing about, uh, you know, I do how wrong Evan was. Look, thanks, Terrence. It seems to be the same version. It's probably oh, very yeah. similar um, because it feels very, very, very Philip K. Dick at every point. And I don't think he changed anything to satisfy anybody else. I think they just picked it up because it's so him. All right. Shall um, we get started? I do have gaming. T- I do yeah. have role playing today. So all right, multiplayer. Going. All right. Um, you know, this is interesting. That guy's mm-hmm. talking about uh, games mm-hmm. because this is a lot like progeny, which I have mispronounced in the audiobook. Uh, I think I think in a different version you may have 
I think you well, may have said progeny at, uh, in a different version. Yeah. But this yeah, I, one, I the one I have is solid. The only, yeah, only solid. mispronunciation I would say is you, when the robot's talking, it says proxima, but you get it's proxima every, everywhere else. Oh, okay. So, but yeah. I, I assume well, that, I that, that was a robot accent. Yeah, I just figured that was robot accent. <laughs> so anyhow, in, uh, my point I wanted to make is uh-huh. uh, Ed, the, the dad in here, is a lot like me. Oh, no, wait, we, we got to start. That, uh, no, no. I don't play, I don't, I don't save play this. Games. Save this, Mike. I don't this, play Mike. games. Yeah, I don't yeah, play we'll games, do and I'm, I am left out. Uh, yeah, I don't and play games. Uh, yeah. Well, neither do I. I never have. Um, it's familiarity and all with hobby. games other than, uh, back in the old days, uh, I built, uh, circuit boards for Atari so I could play Pong and go. all that kind of crap. There you go. There's the real games. Anyhow. All right. So I recorded an audio book recently. <laughs> Pronunciation. That's, that's the thing. I, I was looking up all the words, uh-huh. like looked up Devan and, uh, Devon. 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 Devan. Yeah. Yeah. Devon. I, 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 I listen to that Google uh, voice like a dozen times. I come to the word in the text and I stumble over it. I, yeah. You know. It's funny because you learn these words from books because nobody's saying them, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah I mean, it was my own writing. I should yep. know how to pronounce my own words. Well, you know what the word meant because you saw it in a book and you understood what it meant and now you're using it. But yeah. But I don't thing. understand how it sounds. It's the it's the story I always say. Uh, me and Evan are going to an orgy after after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Looked up the word corporeal. Listen to it, corporeal, corporeal. I come to read it in the text, corporeal. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> and then put a question mark at the end of it. <laughs> corporeal. I, I, I thought I was going to corporeal. <laughs> All right. You know the good thing now is there are so many tools out there that uh, you know, and the thing that the one I like the best for pronunciation is the Google one. You know, pretty as opposed good. to having to go. It's pretty good. To, there's, uh, there's some regional to to, differences, though. Like sometimes it'll give you British or Canadian or whatever. Yeah. Options because, you know, they're the same word pronounced slightly differently. Okay. Um, Paul, will you set a recorder going? Because I have one, but it's the free version. All right, let's get it recorded. Oh, and it says it's not responding. Hold on. Control all delete. Start. All right. Task manager. I have a a recorder going. Can you hear the chickens tweeting in the background? No? You have chickens tweeting for you. Yeah. Yeah. I have them in a cage and they're all automated tweeting my tweets, making Elon mad. (laughs) I don't know. All right, here we go. Um, I sent the link to the thing already. Paul, have you got everybody calculated? Yes, Jesse, Jesse Paul. Paul, Evan, Mike, Terrence, Jonathan. All right, there we go. All right, here we go.